Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, before we get started here, I want to talk about a world tour that's going to be going on February 27th at Caroline's in New York City. There's a little battle going on between Sam Roberts, Brian Myers, and Matt Cardona. You might know him as, um, well, you know... Ryder and Hawkins. But anyway, uh, they are going to be performing live at Caroline's February 27th. Bell time is 7.30, and there's a little beef going on here. Because, you see, basically, Sam Roberts uh, and Hawkins and Ryder, they each have collections. They, they have a lot of things going on. And there's a beef going on because Sam didn't even donate a toy to their holiday toy drive last year and they say that sam roberts hates children i don't know but there's gonna be a lot of surprise guests and you get to see all three of these guys battle it out at caroline's you can go to carolines.com for tickets and the only way to meet them is by getting the vip ticket and it's worth it trust me this is going to be a good time and you're not going to want to miss it the world tour Sam Roberts, Brian Myers, and Matt Cardona at Caroline's New York City. Don't you dare miss it. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brett's Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. Oh, yeah, but there's no box of gimmicks. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Thank you, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Double onion, mother. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Rock and rolling in paradise. Man, I got to tell you, I am fired up about today's episode. We're going to be talking about The Undertaker from 2004 to 2006. And, uh, wow, he's been in the news lately. But before we get going there, we need a little help. If you support our show, well, we need your help getting some great advertisers. In order to find those great advertisers, we need to learn a little bit more about you. So if you enjoy the show, please do us this great favor, go to podsurvey.com forward slash wrestle and take a quick anonymous survey. That'll help us get to know you just a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. 
Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply, but please do this for us today. It's absolutely free. It's quick. It's fast. It's easy. And it's the best way to support the show. It's podsurvey.com slash wrestle. That's P O D S U R V E Y.com slash wrestle. Thanks for all your help. We appreciate listening to the show and we hope you're enjoying what we're doing. So take a minute and please complete that survey podsurvey.com forward slash wrestle. Bruce, let's talk about last week's episode. We got a ton of great feedback about the late, great Eddie Guerrero and what a momentous night it was when he finally became the world champion at no way out 2004. Well, what a great week it was for me last week to revisit that pay-per-view and revisit how special it was to finally put Eddie Guerrero in my opinion, in a place that he deserved to be for quite a while. It was nice to go back and relive it. It was also nice for the reaction that we got from our audience who also seemed to really enjoy going back and revisiting that special night. And it, it was, it was nice to go back and do it. I saw, um, some folks this past weekend who said the Eddie Guerrero stuff was great. And I was like, well, it was a whole thing, man. That whole show, no way out was absolutely great. In my opinion, it was great. And if you haven't already. Go check it out in the archives. No way out 2004. You know, sometimes you see the title of the show and you're like, I don't know if I'm that interested in it. Last week is a perfect example of why you don't want to skip it. It was really the story of Eddie Guerrero. And if you missed that one, you need to go find it in the archives right now. And hopefully you didn't miss your chance to see Bruce and I in New York city, our home away from home. As Bruce likes to say, a Gramercy theater. Uh, believe it or not, these tickets are almost sold out. We put them on sale last week. You guys in New York are really into something to wrestle. It's WrestleMania weekend. Lots of attention. All of the wrestling world is going to descend upon New York city. The big apple. Of course we had to be there Saturday afternoon, April 6th tickets are on sale right now at Bruce but I cannot stress this. You need to hurry. It's a pretty good size venue and there are just a few dozen tickets remaining. So by the time you're listening to this, they might be gone. Don't waste any time. Go right now to brucepritchard.com and join us on Saturday, April 6th. Now, if you're too slow, you can still catch us on Monday night after raw. Of course, the raw after WrestleMania is always the biggest show every year. And this past Sunday during the pre-show, we announced that we're doing something we've never done before. Bruce Pritchard, myself, and good old JR on the same stage at the same time. Monday night, right after all tickets are on sale right now at brucepritchard.com. It's very near the arena. So if you're planning on checking out Monday night, raw, you'll be able to uh, catch us right after. And I want to make this clear. You can get tickets internationally. I know we had some hiccups earlier this week, go to brucepritchard.com, especially if you're in Europe and weren't able to complete your order on ticket fly and we'll get you in there. And we're going to get you in on March 1st at the Mohegan sun. We've got a super show with Eric Bischoff coming up and tickets are going very, very fast. Only a handful remain, but I'm looking forward to that show. What do you expect out of that one, Bruce? I'm expecting, uh, hopefully some crazy appearances by some people, no guarantees, but, uh, it's going to be an awful lot of fun. I always like interacting with Eric because we were on opposite sides and we had very different perspectives 
on the Monday Night Wars. And through the years, we've become pretty damn close friends. So I always enjoy talking with Eric because it's a spirited conversation. But I like to get him hot, too, and piss him off a little bit and always piss him off with, uh, hey, we won comments. And that's always fun to piss Eric off. You know that. Well, it's fun to piss you off, too. And I'm definitely planning to do that in Indiana. I can't believe we're going to Crown Point, but we are. And it's not just us. You actually get a wrestling show ticket with this one as well. This is pretty fun. Black Label Pro is going to have a wrestling show. And for one low price, you not only get to see something to wrestle with Bruce and myself, but you get live action as well. So come see us on March 9th in Crown Point, Indiana. And only a handful of tickets remained in Cleveland, Ohio, right before the pay-per-view. I believe WWE's running Fastlane on March 10th right there in Cleveland. And last I checked, there were like 25 tickets left. So if you haven't already, go to brucepritchard.com. All these shows are on sale now. And of course, Bruce's solo tour all the way through Australia in late March. And you're going to wonder, well, why aren't you going to that, Conrad? Well, because I'm going to C2E2 with Eric Bischoff and Tony Schiavone. So it's going to be a busy March. It's going to be a busy April. And you can get busy right now at brucepritchard.com. If you haven't already, go check it out. You'll be glad you did. And one of the other things you'll be glad that you did is check out our friends over at Turo. Tell them all about it, Bruce. Well, Turo, what it is, it's, it's, they call it a peer to peer car sharing marketplace where you can book any car you want, wherever you want from a community of local hosts, from exotic sport cars to practical daily drivers. You can choose the best car for you, whatever your budget. And all you got to do is download the Turo app. That's T U R O on the app store or Google play or visit Turo.com. And you will get $25 off your first trip. When you sign up for Turo and use promo code wrestle at checkout. Now terms apply. This is a cool deal, man. Even if you're at home in your hometown and you got a special night out with the lady and you want her to impress her with a luxury car, man, check Turo.com out. Use our code wrestle at checkout and uh, save yourself a little money as well. Well, here's the cool thing about Turo. I've actually used this uh, for about a year now. And if you ever needed a buddy who had a pickup truck, boom, you got one. Sometimes renting a truck is a little more difficult. Maybe it's something where, as you said, you wanted to have a special night out. One of the reasons I used it, I wanted to rent a car before I bought a car, because a lot of times it's really difficult because you can't just go rent. Like, man, I really want to check out that new insert car here, but they don't have that at the rental agency. How could I really like really test drive that? Not once around the lot, but really spend some time. You can go to Turo. This Turo thing is the jam, man. It's like Uber for rental cars but not boring old rental cars. If you know what I mean, you can get anything on here. Like I was out in Las Vegas and I pulled this up. They had every exotic in the world on there. I mean, you want to rent a BMW or a Mercedes or whatever you're a Porsche, whatever it's all on there. Go check it out. You'll be glad you did that promo code. Again, is wrestle and you can download the Turo app. That's T U R O or just go to T U R O.com Turo.com and use wrestle at checkout. And you're going to get an extra hookup. Well, you know, All right, Bruce, let's get into it, man. I'm pretty excited about this. When we last saw the undertaker in Oh three, we were made to believe that's the last time we're going to see him because he lost one of those dreaded buried alive matches at survivor series, 2003 to Mr. McMahon, who of course had a lot of help from Kane. Was that the first time that he lost one of these buried alive matches? Just talk us up here. You know, the undertaker has, um, worked through a lot of injuries for a lot of years. Why was he taking a hiatus here? 
Had, did he have too many miles on the clock or what was going on? Well, it was, you know, more than anything, it was kind of that time of year and he was nursing some injuries. It was time for him to go and nurse these injuries. But also I think that I'll give you my perspective of what I was thinking at the time, creatively give that character. He had done the American badass for a few years, very successfully. The audience was yearning for the dead man. They wanted their old undertaker that they remembered the dark and mysterious character. There was a lot of feedback that they loved that character. They enjoyed American badass, but they wanted their undertaker back. So this was one way for kind of to bury figuratively and literally the American badass and resurrect the undertaker, the, the character. And, um, it also gave him time to go away as Jr. would say, go away, learn new hold, but come back fresh and get those injuries, give them time to heal up and have a brand new character on our hand on the other side. So did you guys already know, uh, by survivor series, Oh three, you're going to come back with Kane undertaker. I mean, clearly for him to be involved in the assist at survivor series, that was the plan. When did that become the plan? Well, that was the idea. We needed someone. Look, you, you had to have a ready built opponent for him. That was why we put Kane in the match with Vince so that, all right, there's a reason there's a natural reason with the brotherly brother rivalry anyway. Um, so by Kane being involved in that match and burying undertaker, there's one more reason for undertaker to come back and avenge his loss against his brother. So yeah, we did. We had an idea that he was going to come back. He would come back and avenge Kane. And it was, it's an easy ready-made match. And I got to tell you, man, Mark, uh, Calloway hated the idea. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely hated the idea of coming back as the dead man because he thought with the, uh, American badass character, it was multidimensional and he, he wasn't, uh, doing the head snaps and everything. He, he could work and go out and have a different style of match. And he felt that if he came back, as a dead man that he would have to go back into the dead man persona in the ring. And we, we all felt, look, Let's give them that at WrestleMania, the old dead man. But then you can evolve in, in the ring, in your work. You can, you can work like the American badass, but you're the undertaker. You're in the old garb. And, uh, it was a battle. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a multi-month battle to really convince him that this would work. And he, he didn't think that people wanted the dead man back. He, he really didn't. And he just wanted to continue on with American badass and felt that it was a step back to go to the old undertaker. Ultimately, how do you convince him? Oh, geez. Um, I could say a lot of begging, but it was, it was a constant, constant dialogue of we could do this and, and he would come up with, all right, what if I'm presented with this situation? How, how would this undertaker react? And we worked through all of that and it took a while. Uh, but we said, you know, take this time off, grow your hair out. And you know, if, if it's a one-off, if it completely shits the bed and the audience is like, nah, we don't, we don't like it. Then 
we can always go back. He's like, God damn, you can't go back. Said, yes, you can. We're going back. We're going to try it. And finally he just gave in and said, okay, I'll try it. I'll do it. And the rest, as I say, is history. Well, I'm glad that he did because it is such a nostalgia situation. Was there any sort of concern that, you know, oh man, we've seen him wrestle Kane before, you know, obviously, you know, there are major trilogy trilogies at WrestleMania, you know, lots of major rematches, but were people, why was Kane the right guy at 20? I mean, have, having seen it in 1998 at WrestleMania 14, when it was fresh, why the retread here? Six years later. Well, I think that it was, it's a natural matchup and it was a natural rivalry brother versus brother. It was also a ready-made match that we didn't have to, we didn't have to do a lot to get to it because we, we had Kane be the guy that was responsible for him going away. And I think people would naturally accept Kane is the adversary to Undertaker in this role. It was it was about nostalgia and it was about kind of a celebration. It was WrestleMania 20. It was a big deal. And in our mind, this was a match going back. You know, it wasn't at WrestleMania 10. No, but it was it was a little nostalgic. In a lot of ways, you're getting the character of Undertaker back and you're getting the old rivalry of brother versus brother back one more time. Let's talk a little bit about the way you bring him back. Uh, Royal Rumble 2004, the Undertaker's music plays, the lights go out. When they come back on, Kane's distracted. Booker T eliminates him from behind. On the January 26th draw, while Kane's in the ring, we hear the Undertaker's gong again. It distracts Kane. So we're starting to plant the seeds. And we've talked about this recently, but I want to touch on it again. At a time where Vince is holding meetings before Raw and SmackDown, sort of going off about leaks for storylines to the media, the SmackDown magazine gives away the return of the Undertaker. Talk us through... Why that's different? Well, because we planted it, it was our magazine, and we felt that by putting it out in our magazine that we were going to eat it. There wasn't as many subscribers to SmackDown Magazine that were going to see it in advance. So we said, okay, what's what's the worst that can happen? Do we wait you know, four to six weeks for the next issue to come out, or do we get it out to them early? And it was out maybe 10 days before <laughs> we made the announcement on television. But it was planned. We we did that knowing full well that the magazine was going to be in the hands of subscribers and potentially out on the newsstands before we announced it. And we felt that, ah, that's okay. We're doing the teases. They know he's coming back. Just uh, bite the bullet and do it for our magazine. If it had got out elsewhere, then, you know, that that is what it is. But we knew it and we felt it was important enough that we would eat this one. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, cause you said something I found interesting there when you said, well, there weren't that many subscribers. I mean, clearly it's going to make the internet right away. Right. You know, I don't think that <laughs> at this time in 2004 that the internet, yes, it was, but I don't think it was even as big of a deal, uh, as it became, but it was, we knew that was going to happen. We knew it was going to get out there and just kind of accepted it. 
So the subscriber base was what it was. But when you look at the subscriber base versus the television audience, obviously the television audience is a whole lot bigger. And if a few people get it early, then they got a scoop. Wade Keller wrote something that I've, I've wanted you to respond to for a while, and I'm glad we finally get to cover it. Brock Lesnar isn't alone in worrying about the undertaker returning to television as the dead man character. Wrestlers suspect that taker is going to squash Kane at WrestleMania and then beat Lesnar in a series of house show matches, assuming Lesnar stays on the road. Worse yet, the wrestlers fear that taker is going to squash all the heels before turning heel himself and then squashing all of the baby faces. While that may sound like paranoia, wrestlers point out that Taker does have a track record of doing this. Quote, who wants to work with a baby face who won't sell? Asked one wrestler. They tell you in the meetings to slow down and sell holds. Now we're supposed to work with a guy who won't sell anything. He would sell a lot during his American badass days, but this is not American badass. What say you? No, it wasn't American badass. However, they didn't know nor did we at the time know how that character was going to evolve and how it would change. They thought that, okay, we're bringing back the old character of the dead man, the undertaker. And it was a lot of paranoia. It was unnecessary paranoia because nobody knew what the hell we were going to have on that side. But it was in our minds, we'll get through the WrestleMania match, but then this new undertaker, you know, he came back, cut promos and he, he worked differently and he did sell and he did have vulnerability because you had seen that in the American badass, but no one else had really seen that yet. And the fear was, I think the paranoia in the locker room was, Oh God, you know, or we're told to do this, but it's okay for him not to sell what we do. And that wasn't going to be the case, but it was the, I think that fear was valid and it, it was taking place in the locker rooms because guys came to me and asked about it, but it was not to be seen yet. You know, I was like, just wait and see what happens. Let, let's get there first. Well, I was always curious about your take on who wants to work with a baby face who won't sell. Let's get to WrestleMania 20. It's March 14th, 2004. You can go ahead and mark your calendars now. I know we've had lots of requests. Are you going to cover it? Yes, we are. We're going to cover it on March 15th. Uh, so if you haven't already, mark your calendars. That's the plan. Um, the Undertaker gets a win here in just under seven minutes. He beats Kane. Kane comes out first, of course. This was a cool uh, entrance set. I really enjoyed it. Um, the match sort of is what it is, though. And only got two stars. From uh, Wade Keller, he says, nice spectacle match, but I'd say overall, actually a bit of a letdown. Taker just didn't show enough vulnerability, so there wasn't a ton of drama where he ever felt he was in jeopardy of losing. His pinfall win didn't get the type of pop you'd expect, given all the buildup as a result of that inevitable feeling that there was that was there all along. Ross reminded viewers of his undefeated record at WrestleMania. Two stars. Uh, what say you? I thought the match was okay. One, it wasn't one of their better matches, but I don't know that in the big match scenarios at WrestleMania, I don't think that Taker and Kane had their best matches. So the, the match wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. I think that the, it was all about the entrance, the tombstone and the Shakespeare at the end of the match. And they got that. Plus 
they got the return of Paul Bear, which I think was a big surprise for the audience as well. I'm not arguing that at all. I would think a lot of people behind the scenes were probably surprised that Paul Bear was back as well because while he was gone, he was pretty outspoken about the company, very critical. How was Paul Brill back? Is this a favor to the undertaker? Um, what was the thinking in bringing him back after him being gone for so long? Well, when you're talking about bringing back that character, there was a lot of discussion as to the presentation. So there was talk of does brother love bring him back? Cause brother love was his first manager. I didn't want to do that. And I, and taker didn't want to do that. Taker felt that the presentation was Paul Bear. That was what everybody had, had remembered for years. That was the duo that when the audience thought of undertaker, they thought of undertaker and Paul bearer. I mean, that was the package. So we reached out to Paul and Paul, uh, Paul was interested. We did not know the condition that Paul was in and Paul was just really out of shape and it put on, a ton of weight. So there, there was that concern when we saw him like, you know, holy shit, there was, there was concern at WrestleMania. Can Paul get up the steps to the ring? And that was, Paul didn't know if he could get up the steps. He was, he was that much overweight and just, he hadn't been doing a lot and he hadn't been taking care of himself. So that, you know, added to a lot of things in the future, but that first time you see him back, it was a big surprise for, um, Paul to be there and to hear the, Oh yes, just, you know, one more time and get it out there. And Vince thought if nothing else, it's a one-off at WrestleMania, but we thought, you know, Paul's back and let's, let's use him for a little while. Well, I'm glad he was back. It certainly added something to the character. I mean, if you're going for nostalgia, that's what it should be. Let's talk about Kane here for a minute, because much has been made about the streak and you could argue that, and I know in hindsight, people were probably going to crap on this, but I think you could argue that maybe it made sense that if someone was going to end the undertaker streak, it should have been his brother. Was that ever discussed that you remember Kane perhaps being the one to end the streak? It had been discussed, but certainly not here. Uh, this was, this was the return of the dead man. And, and there was never any discussion one way or the other that undertaker would not be victorious on this night. You know, th- this whole thing was meant is the return of the undertaker victory. And in a lot of respects, it, it was not a squash match by any stretch of the imagination, but this match was, was done and laid out to be the return of the undertaker in for him to look great. Talk to me a little bit about the return for the undertaker to TV. He winds up on SmackDown and not raw. Why is that? I just think that it it was, I think he had, I think he had left on SmackDown if I remember correctly. So it was a natural return to SmackDown, but it was also when you're looking at attractions and how baby faces and heels line up on each side. Um, we kind of needed him on SmackDown in that baby face role. We needed that big baby face over there at that time. We had Eddie, but you also needed, you know, Eddie wasn't proven yet. Well, he returns with uh, a pile driver on Paul Heyman. 
which is kind of fun because the first time I saw the undertaker before he was the undertaker, he was managed by Paul Lee over in WCW. So small world. Let's fast forward to late April and we start to see a feud teased with him and Booker T, uh, where undertaker's music starts playing again while Booker T is out there saying he's the biggest star on SmackDown. The next week on SmackDown, Booker would beat Billy Gunn and then Taker comes out and Booker hits him with the urn. So we're off and running. Why was Booker the right logical first opponent for the Undertaker returning to SmackDown? Because it was new. It was new and it was fresh. It was something that you know we hadn't done before. And it was kind of a a good just a good way to to get started. We knew Booker would have pretty good matches with him and felt that that would be a nice way to get Taker back and get some wins on his first, his first night back. We'd done the Kane thing. That was a one-off at WrestleMania. We needed somebody for him to work with. Let's talk a little bit about, um, something else that's reported in the observer. I'm sorry, the torch about Mordecai, which I've really looked forward to talking about. Now it's finally here. Wade would write Mordecai is a creation of Bruce Pritchard who pitched the idea to Vince McMahon and undertaker. The eventual plan is to feed Mordecai to the undertaker. And there's been some grumbling in the office that Kevin Fertig, who plays the character had plenty of charisma before the WWE quote unquote ruined him by overhauling his look for this role. On a side note, Fertig actually had black hair prior to this gimmick. And some insiders point to Pritchard as the primary reason for SmackDown's recent string of subpar shows. They say Pritchard has been manipulating his way into more power by bad-mouthing co-writer Dave Lagana behind his back to Vince McMahon. The return of The Undertaker has also helped Pritchard's cause, as Pritchard has long been considered one of Taker's main inner office allies. Your response? Yeah, Pritchard was a fucking asshole. Well, piece of shit, motherfucker. That's unanimous. I mean, I even heard a guy say once that he would uh, take a bullet for Tom, but put one in Bruce. Well, who wouldn't, um, you know, Mordecai, I don't know if that was 100% my creation, but I sure as hell had a lot to do with it. It was Kevin Furtick was in the developmental territory. He was a big kid, had a lot of promise and looking to bring him in. And the idea, again, I, I like to look at black and white, good and evil and very, very clear. I don't like gray. Um, so, and Taker had taken a liking to Kevin Furtick as well. So as we were talking, as we do, you, you would talk to talent, you would find out about their life, their history and, and what, what brought them to the business, what made them tick. And Kevin's father was a man, old school minister that, preached fire and brimstone and hated the wrestling business. And just the way that Furtick would describe his dad to me was like, he was brother love, man, but he just, he, he was the real deal. And he, um, was a religious zealot, I guess would be one way to describe him. So Kevin had this, this idea of being, Almost, you know, try to be a quiet version of his dad through uh, going back and forth. We came up with Mordecai. There was a guy named Dan Madigan who also was on the team (laughs) that was infatuated 
with the Mordecai character. He's the one that did all the vignettes with Mordecai uh, coming in before we actually paired him up with the undertaker, but we had to build, we had to build opponents for the undertaker. It's that character. You've got to feed, you got to feed him. And we were looking for new matchups and Fertig was new and it was a way to bring him in. The, The only problem was, unfortunately, I think that Kevin got in his head that he was the Ying to Undertaker Zhang and that he needed to work very slowly and methodically and he moved in slow motion and just it died. It absolutely died when he went out because he was trying to be a heel version of the Undertaker. He hadn't got over yet at that point. So Vince lost confidence pretty quickly. And that was put on the shelf. Talk to me about, you know, the vision for what he's going to look like. I mean, you, you very briefly described, you know, white and black light and dark. I get that. But the actual get up itself, the symbol, all that stuff, who would have been involved in that process besides yourself? Well, obviously we threw it, uh, to creative services and, and Madigan was a, um, he used to call himself a Boston Catholic or something like that, that was raised and, you know, went to Catholic school and was terrified of the nuns that would hit him with rulers and things like that. So it was very anti, um, stereotypical religion. You know, we had those overtones in there, the white, the white hair and the white eyebrows and all that, that was, that was Kevin's idea to, to bleach his hair out completely white and do the white eyebrows just to give a, it, it gave a really eerie look. And I think we put contacts in his eyes as well and gave him those really like ocean blue eyes. It was, he was creepy looking, but it was, it was a pretty much Kevin was involved in it a lot. Taker was involved in it. I was Vince was Dan Madigan. And I would say that was the, the people that really were invested in that character and tried to make it work. Wade Keller had some more rumor and innuendo. I want you to address. He wrote when undertaker was having his makeup applied, he said to someone, are you actually going to use me this week? Uh, he apparently was not happy with how he was used the week before. And he also wrote in this same issue, SmackDown co-writer and undertaker ally, Bruce Pritchard is one of the least popular people in the locker room. According to numerous sources, quote, if he were ever fired, it would be like when Eric Bischoff was finally sent home by WCW. Most of the wrestlers would be that happy. Did you know you had heat in the locker room back then? God, we all had heat. If we were on the writing team, of course you did. If you, if you didn't have heat, you weren't doing something right. So again, people that are, you're on different sides in a lot of respects. So people that don't understand a lot of times what you do, it's easy. It's easy to have heat. If you're not being used, well, fuck it. It's gotta be somebody's fault and it can't be Vince's fault. Well, who's the next one in line? It's the easiest guy to have heat with. Cause you're not going to go bitch to Vince and you're not going to tell Vince you're unhappy. You won't blame Vince. So I'm going to blame that guy. And that was my position. I was in the heat position from the time that I was in talent relations to, you know, Pat and I all through our years of being on the creative guys, they would take, they would say, oh, Patterson, fuck me or Pritchard, fuck me. 
It's easier than saying Vince fucked you. So yeah, I'm sure I had a lot of heat. Well, speaking of fucking, when did it become okay for men to become lazier, softer, fatter? Let's bring this country back to greatness. And it's easier than ever with ageless male max. Ageless male max is a patent pending formula with an ingredient that helps boost your total testosterone, which is going to promote greater increases in both muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage when compared to exercise alone. Plus you'll enjoy an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym or in the bedroom. So what are you waiting for? Take your manhood to the max by trying your first 30 day bottle for free. Just by shipping and handling. Now I want to be clear. It's not 10 days. It's not 15 days, a full 30 day supply, man, for free. All you've got to do is text the word Ram. It's R A M to 79, 79, 79. So don't settle for anything less than a total testosterone boost. Try ageless male max right now for free. Now we do need to warn you if your results with ageless male max are too intense, please decrease use. But for your free bottle, text RAM, that's R-A-M to 797979, and show the world what real men are made of with ageless male max message and data rates my, may apply. Bruce, you've been doing a little extra ramming since you got your ageless male max? Hang on, I'm, I'm texting 797979. Okay, well, All right. got it. I think your wife's going to be happy. Okay, let's get to judgment day. It took place May 15th, 2004 Staples center right there in LA undertaker is going to get the win over Booker T they go about 12 minutes. Taker's going to dominate most of the match. Booker is going to try to use a sack of soil as a weapon, but Taker's not going to sell the soil, which is kind of a fun sentence. Uh, Booker gets a uh, two count with a scissor kick and eventually the undertaker comes back with a choke slam and a tombstone. And Wade Keller would write, really formula with nothing new or exciting, one star. What'd you think of Judgment Day in the Undertaker Booker T match? You know, it, during this time, I think Taker was kind of still finding his way. He came back as the old character, and I think he was trying to find that happy medium between the dead man and the badass. And it was it was just a work in progress that was taking a little while because he was like, well, I'm it's easy to just go back to what, you know, and I think that's what was happening there a little bit. It, they didn't really gel at first, but at the same time, I thought some of their matches were absolutely fantastic. Uh, a lot of their house show and dark matches were really good shit. And as Taker got a lot more comfortable in the character, they, they tore the house down. That wouldn't have been one of them. Well, they get a meaningful storyline next. I don't know why I remember this, but I do. It's the June 3rd SmackDown undertaker beats or fights Booker T to a no contest and Paul Heyman interrupts. And that's when we see the Dudleys are shown on the big screen and the Dudleys announce that they have Paul bear and Heyman tells taker that he has to join them or he'd never see Paul bear again. And he has until next week to let him know. The following week, after a brief monologue from Paul, he demands an undertaker answer. Undertaker comes out and after the big long pause, he kneels at Heyman's feet as the show goes off the air. What a fun little, uh, twist. This is whose idea was this. And what did you think of it? Well, it was Vince's idea, uh, from the standpoint of, we had to do something to get rid of Paul. Paul was, was not healthy and Paul was not able to go on the road. 
wouldn't be with us for a long time if he didn't go and and have um, the lap band surgery and take care of himself, take care of his health first. And and it wasn't healthy for him to be on the road and he couldn't do anything. And so we had to get him off TV. We had to kill off that character. Um, we didn't know we were actually going to fucking kill him, but, um, yeah, this was, this was kind of a, one of those vents. What if we did this and well, we'll it get, happened, we'll, we'll get to what you're talking about first. I want to circle back and address those rumors that maybe some other wrestlers were upset by the undertaker coming in and quote unquote, not doing jobs. Wade would apparently talk to more wrestlers who would have a different story where they said when undertaker's around, it's a morale boost. He knows who loves the business and who doesn't, and he won't go out of his way to offer help. But if you ask for it, he'll come early or stay late to help you. He's one of us and he doesn't carry himself as being any better than anyone else. And he would even detail that when they did a European tour, the last night of the tour, everybody wants to hang out and stay up late and just sort of let loose. And Taker is right in the middle of that. How much bonding happened on those European tours, especially with some of the younger guys and an old vet like the undertaker. God, you're together all the time. You're on buses and airplanes and, and you're traveling kind of like a, you know, a sports team, a basketball team or football team, but you are with each other. Uh, morning, noon, night. So there's an opportunity to get to know guys a lot more. And it's funny. I was just talking about this. Now I can't even remember who the hell I was talking to, but the, the way that talent is today with their phones and, and they don't travel together. They're, they're very into themselves and they move on. There's, there's not the drug culture that it was at one time. There's not that go out and party culture anymore. The guys kind of keep to themselves. They travel with one or two friends, but there's not that, Hey, we're all going to meet back at the hotel in the bar and everybody's there and everybody gets to know one another. It's just a little different culture. And back then that was all you did. You got up in the morning, you ate breakfast in the hotel where they had special catering just for you. So you saw the same guys, you went to the building early, you're around the same guys, you do the show, you travel to the next town. So on those international tours, it was the opportunity to bond and to be around everybody much more so than in the States and on, and on, on a normal tour, if you will. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, what's next here, because I've really looked forward to, um, well, we'll talk about the rumor and innuendo first. Wade would write every indication is that the Paul bear character will be killed off in the coming weeks, perhaps as soon as Sunday's great American bash pay-per-view. Undertaker hasn't put up much of a fight for Bear, apparently since he realizes he would be fighting a losing battle. However, Taker is said to be less than thrilled about being managed by Paul Heyman, whom he has had heat with since late last year. Uh, so before we talk about everything else, what was the heat? I don't know. Well, oh God, no, the, the, the rumor and innuendo would have been that Heyman had suggested the undertaker WrestleMania match be on the pre-show, uh, be on heat. And so that, that got back. And I think there was a little bit of heat there back and forth, but again, it's, I don't know. There was any real heat. I hate you heat or anything like that. It was just business 
business as usual, if you will. But there was never any talk about putting Heyman with Undertaker. That was never that was never discussed. The idea about getting rid of Paul was for health reasons, and Taker didn't didn't fight to keep him off. <laughs> you know, it was Paul had to go have surgery and, and get better. There was nothing to fight for. Well, let's talk about um the way they're gonna get there. You know, the rumor in innuendo is certainly uh that they're gonna kill him, but the way they do it is really I mean, wow. Great American Bash, June twenty seventh, in the Norfolk Scope. <sighs> it's the first Great American Bash event ever ran by WWE. And we're gonna talk about that another time, but very quickly. Why does Vince use an old Jim Crockett name? It feels like there was major reluctance for a long time to use WCW names. There was never a Starcade until recently. There was never a War Games until recently. But Great American Bash, for whatever reason, it got the nod. Why is that? Dusty push for it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I don't even know if Dusty was with us at the time, but. I think that it was just the first one for you. We owned it. We owned all those trademarks. We owned all the names. So when we would go through things, it's like, why not? You know, why not bring it back? It's, it's to me, I love the name, you know, the great American bash. So let's make it our own. You know, you, you bought the shit, you own it. Then let's, why not do it? Um, and Vince finally gave in and it was, one of those, you know, we're getting the, the original idea was to do it July 4th. Um, but we did it at the end of June and it's like, okay, yeah, great. We'll have the great American bash. He would go back and forth on that sometimes because it wasn't a traditional WWE event. So he didn't look at it as you know anything big. And I just, I loved the name and we kind of fought for it. And thought it would be a it's it was a good summertime name. Great American Bash, shit. Fourth of July, America, hot dogs, apple pie, shit. Why not? On the way here, on like the go home edition of SmackDown, Undertaker pins John Cena with a tombstone. And then afterwards, Paul Heyman holds up the urn and Taker seems mesmerized by it. Now the pay-per-view. The undertaker beats the Dudleys in 14 minutes and 38 seconds. And during this Paul bear was locked in a glass box and I'm sorry. I got to correct you there. No, 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 no. It was not a glass box. It was a concrete crypt. Okay. So Heyman is pouring wet cement into the concrete (laughs) crypt early and several times throughout the show. And Taker at first resists Heyman's wishes and fights the Dudleys. And Heyman keeps giving him more chances to quote, do the right thing and lay down for the Dudleys. And then Taker pins Devon after a choke slam. So Heyman goes to pull the lever to finish off Paul Bear, but lightning strikes. Taker wanted to do it himself. He told Paul he had no other choice. Rest in peace, he says. And Wade would write, so bad it was camp. Slightly amusing spectacle. Two stars. Okay. Chat me up here. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yay. I won. Fuck it. I'll kill him. Rest in peace. Hell, what? 
You ever have one of those days where everything you say and do is wrong, no matter how right it is? Only since I've been married. Okay. So Great American Bash, Vince was not there. And I, I don't even remember why Vince wasn't there. But there were so many things about this day that I remember as if it were yesterday. Number one. It was the first day of the new dress code that we all had to wear suits and ties. So I'm in a friggin' suit in Norfolk around a concrete crypt, and we had a sand deal and all this other shit. And I've got dress shoes on, I'm getting sand all in my shoes, and just got this concrete crap, which was made out of oatmeal. All just all over the place. I got Eddie Guerrero and J JBL in a, a bull rope match. And Vince doesn't understand what a bull rope match is and how we're going to do the finish. Tells me to call dusty. Dusty was working at TNA. That's what it was. Tells me to call dusty for the finish, get a finish from dusty, call dusty and get a finish from him. All this shit's going on. And since Vince isn't there, everything's being done over the phone. And he's like, you hang up with him and he calls right back we knew we were going to, we were going to kill Paul off and how this whole thing started. And again, uh, give credit where credit's due. Dan Madigan fucking just blurted out one day. What if we, what if we put him in a crypt and buried him on live TV? And Vince was like, I love it. And that's where the concrete crypt came in. And, we all thought kind of like we would sometimes, okay, this'll, this'll blow over. We're not really going to do this. Then we get there and we're going to do it. Like, you know, I've got a Paul bear double, um, all this shit. And I'm trying to figure out how do you do this? And then Vince and Taker talked and Vince thought that it was important that Undertaker is the one that killed Paul Bear off. And Mark's like, is that going to turn me heel? God damn it. I'll make you a bigger baby face than before to kill that fucker. And you're like, nobody got it. But we didn't have Vince in front of us to, to show him. And, you know, he wasn't there. To, to feel, you know, sometimes you got to be there to feel the vibe of the room, if you will. And we just finally shrugged our shoulders and go, we're going to do it just like he wants it. Um, I don't get it. Don't really understand it, but it's what he wants. And he's going to be sitting there watching this shit tonight. And if it's not done exactly, it's, it's my ass. <sighs> So we did it. Vince just felt it was, it was important for the undertaker to pull, to pull the goddamn lever. And we had rehearsed this year and we shot everything with Paul, um, during the day. So we, we had one crypt there and we put the oatmeal stuff and we shot it so that what you saw on television was actually Paul in the crypt and the stuff coming all the way up to his neck. And then when in the audience, uh, when it was live, we had the double in the, in the crypt. 
So when you're watching at home, you see that it's Paul Bearer and even the audience there, because you, it, it was kind of dark. So you really couldn't, you couldn't tell if it was Paul or not. Um, yeah, you could. Um, <laughs> it was terrible. But <laughs> on TV, once it got up to his neck, you know, you cut out live and you see the cement go up over his head. And then um, the guy was allegedly able to hold his breath for two minutes. So we could have 30 seconds, you get off the air and everything's fine. But it, it, we had a panic deal in there. If the guy raised his hand, then we we broke the glass and uh, rescued him. I think the guy lasted maybe 12 seconds, if that. It felt like to me, as soon as it got over his head, he was raising his hand. Um, it sure as hell wasn't anywhere close to 30 seconds or the two minutes that we were promised. Um. We broke the glass and it all went out everywhere. You didn't get to see that on TV, but it was the drizzling shits. And afterwards, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have to go talk about it afterwards. Everybody knew it was Taker had his head hung. I had my head hung. I went and hid. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was just happy it was over. Um, and I think that was the feeling with the Dudleys, with Paul, with, with take, even with Paul bearer, man, that it was okay. It's over next. We gotta, we gotta just move on. We have to forget this ever happened. It was fucking horrible. Yeah. That's so, the nicest thing I can say about it. So by the next SmackDown, Paul Heyman is of course, gloating about the undertaker's actions and the fact that he's killed Paul bearer. And the undertaker says that now he can release his fury against Heyman because his conscience is out of the picture. What do you think of that explanation? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you had to address it somehow and it's like, no, I did it. So <laughs> no, it made no sense. None of it made sense. And the, you're, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like shedding water in mud. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. It's like, fuck. Terrible. The next week, Josh Matthews interviews Paul Heyman backstage. He says he has a message for the undertaker. And then in the ring, he does a promo begging for forgiveness. And he asked the undertaker to have pity on his wretched soul. Uh, fast forward a couple of weeks and we see the undertaker walk to the ring after Bradshaw wins an enhancement match undertaker blocks a Bradshaw cheap shot attempt, then choke slams him and announces that he has an opponent for SummerSlam. So Wade would even take to the torch and say, not everyone is thrilled with the idea of undertaker beating Bradshaw for the WWE title at SummerSlam, even short term. Especially those who have a stake in house show business. Taker is only a part timer now, and there are some within WWE who have power that strongly believe they can't afford to have a part time champion, even for a short stint. Others, though, believe SmackDown needs a top star to hold the title for a while and restore some credibility to the SmackDown title. Where did you fall on this, and what did you think about him automatically being in there with Bradshaw? Well, who the fuck said he was winning the title? Well, you know, people are obviously speculating. 
Yeah, they're speculating, but that was never, ever the plan for Undertaker to beat Bradshaw here. The idea was to keep dumping more and more heat on Bradshaw as the champion. Bradshaw is a heel champion. God, Eddie made Bradshaw. And the more Bradshaw held on to that championship and talked about being the longest reigning SmackDown champion in history, that son of a bitch had real heat. And he had heat where people paid money to see him get his ass kicked. So there was, there was no idea and where he got that we were thinking of Undertaker <laughs> beating Bradshaw for the title. That was never in the cards. Let's talk a little bit about the August 5th SmackDown. Bradshaw's ripping on the fans in Texas, calls out Taker, and a little person comes out dressed up as the Undertaker. JBL rips on him verbally, and then the real Undertaker comes out. And Orlando Jordan turns heel by saving JBL from the taker. And then taker choke slams the little person dressed as him. Wow. A little person choke slam from the undertaker. Didn't think I would ever see that. What'd you think of this? Well, there was that time that he, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be nice. Yeah. It's not something we could do today. Um, wait a minute. What were you going to say? You can't do that. That's not what we do. What's that? You teased the story and then you, you stopped. That's kind of defeating the. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say Undertaker choked a lot of little guys, and then I was going to name off a list of short guys. Go ahead. Was, Let's do it. No, no, because I always go to Skippy and then I get shit for it. Because I like, because I, okay, Chris Candido, and so whenever any Cornette was such a big Candido fan, and I was a huge Candido fan, but the fact that I could raz Corny by just kind of ripping on Chris's height and that used to piss him off. So I, that that's where I was going. I was going to say, no, Undertaker gave choke slams to Candido, but, All and right. I say that in jest, I would say it to Candido because I loved him and, and he was a good kid. So cool. I just didn't want to be mean. I got it. I'm a nice guy. Just ask. Well, me. I don't know about that. Okay. Anything else you want to mention here? We haven't talked about Orlando Jordan much. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. You know, Orlando, God, man, I thought that Orlando was one of those guys. He had a hell of a personality outside of the ring and a great look, very good look. And he could do some unique things. However, when the red light came on, that personality just did not come through and you wanted to do things with him because the guy outside of the ring was just in a lot of ways, larger than life could convince you that he could pull it off. And then he would get out there and he would go dull and his work would be spectacular one night and the drizzling shits the next. So he wasn't, he wasn't very consistent. Um, he was one of those guys again on the outside of the ring. Very, very entertaining. And you saw a lot of upside. Unfortunately, when the bell rang and when the red light went on, he couldn't put it all together. We had high hopes for Orlando and it just never really delivered. So let's get to SummerSlam, man. Uh, this is uh this is a show. Why not? August 15th, Toronto, Canada. <laughs> well, oh, I'm just saying this fucking JBL undertaker match. I mean, here's the thing. I remember it just because of the finish. Um, JBL is going to get the win by DQ. The crowd boos takers offense and they chant Spanish table, Spanish table. 
Uh, takers dominating early. Eventually JBL comes back. They go back and forth. The ref goes down. Jordan throws the belt to JBL. He hits taker with it. The ref's out. So Jordan counts the two, but it's stopped when undertaker lifts his shoulder. Apparently honesty overtook this heel. I don't know. And then taker knocks out Jordan with the belt. The ref comes to in time to see taker hit JBL calls for the DQ. So the crowd's booing, but then taker rams JBL into the limo windshield afterwards, and then slams him through the roof of the limo. What a spectacle this is two and three quarter stars. It's sort of a, a fuck finish here, but the, the choke slam through the roof of the limo. <laughs> I mean, this is straight out of no holds barred right here. Whose idea was this? Talk to us about the stunt, how it's put together, all that jazz. Well, we, obviously we weren't going to be, we weren't going to beat taker here and we weren't going to switch the title. So, okay. We got to have a schmoz, but you also got to make them happy at the end. Hence, God damn, we got a limo there. Let's fuck it up. And one of Vince's favorite things is to destroy uh, vehicles. And anytime that you have an opportunity to destroy a nice limo, why the hell not? So we started thinking of different things. And as we got it out there, uh, the guys, Undertaker and JBL, started thinking about different things that they could do. You know, what, what could they do to make this spectacular and make it over the top? And that's, that's how they came up with it. And, and that last shot, yeah. Going through the, the roof of the thing's awesome. Was there any consideration into putting the title on taker here at all? No, no, because we, we wanted, we just wanted to keep dumping heat on JBL. It was, you know, it's funny that the, the dirt sheet people, I guess, for lack of a better term, they hated JBL because they hated JBL. Um, but here was a character that had real heat, like the kind of heat that people, like, as I said earlier, would pay money to see him get his ass kicked. They didn't like him. It wasn't fun heat. They weren't gonna, you know, cheer. They wanted to see him get his ass kicked. They enjoyed seeing him get his ass kicked. So it was, it was a building process and this was something that we had committed to and felt that this character was, he was getting over and we didn't want to, we didn't want to disrupt that flow and Taker didn't need the belt at that time. Let's talk about the original finish. It was reported in the torch that the original idea was to have John Heidenreich interfere, which would then allow Taker to move into a program with him, but that undertaker successfully lobbied for the finish to be changed. And then as a result, the program with Heidenreich was postponed. Uh, and I guess we should mention that Wade wrote the belief among many wrestlers in WWE is that the undertaker quote manipulated his way into another SummerSlam pay-per-view main event payoff. Um, do you want to address the payoff thing first or what about Heidenreich? Well, that, that comment's just silly. I mean, it's just, it's a stupid comment. Um, under that was a hot match. That was something people were going to pay money to see. You want to see Undertaker versus JBL and the Heidenreich stuff? Yeah, we had talked about um, another a program with Heidenreich. Poor Undertaker. Every time that there was another big guy, it was, you know, we, we would fall into the same trap that we used to fall in with Hulk. Hulk liked the big guys and the monsters. So he could sell and make the big comeback and, and squash the monster. 
And with Undertaker, he was so big and dominant for so many years that you had to have the big, the big monster heel to go against him. So you got a big guy like Heidenreich, and you think, well, Taker can get him through it. And that was the curse of the Undertaker. You would put him with the King Kong Bundys and the giant Gonzaleses of the world because they're big guys. <laughs> it's a threat to the Undertaker. How do you have a credible threat to the Undertaker? So um, Heidenreich, we had started with Heidenreich, and Vince was like, God, he's just not ready yet. Um, Vince didn't have the confidence in Heidenreich at that time. It was just something that he wasn't ready to do it, wasn't ready to pull the trigger yet. One of the things I wanted to ask about was this promo that happens right after this JBL choke slam through the top of the limo. The next SmackDown opens with JBL coming out of his white limo with a little help from Orlando Jordan. He's wearing a head halo, a plastic body brace, a neck immobilizer, but the best part is the cowboy hat is on top of the head brace. So it's several <laughs> inches over his head. It's fucking hilarious. He's struggling with each step. He's ripping on Canadian fans and the Canadian army. When the undertaker steps out onto the stage, JBL falls in fright. He can't bear to face the undertaker. What a visual this is this fucking hat on top of the halo. It's hilarious to me. Yeah. John wasn't, wasn't afraid to, to get out there, man. John wasn't, <laughs> wasn't afraid of looking ridiculous. Cause he could get his heat right back. And it was, it was a little absurd, but it got the message, got the message out there. We wanted to put him in a full body cast, just all the way legs and everything. Obviously he couldn't, he couldn't walk, get into the ring like that. So we had to just go with the upper body, but it was disgust, man. Let's go all the way with that son of a bitch, but it was fun. It cracks me up. I don't know what's going on with Wade Keller, but he apparently hates the undertaker because anything negative about the undertaker made print. I'm noticing that he wrote, uh, around this time, of course, is when you guys started implementing a dress code and he says undertaker was not complying with the dress code during the Australian tour. According to fans who saw him entering and leaving the arenas most, but not all other wrestlers were adhering to the code. Now I mentioned this because eventually Wade would report that Taker came around and started to follow the dress code, but he was certainly slow to get there. And since he's always been talked about as a locker room leader, I wanted your stance on did Taker think that that applied for everyone, but him, how much pushback was there about the dress code? What do you remember? That Vince told him he wanted him to dress like the undertaker and that the dress code didn't apply to him in the way that it applied to everyone else. Same thing with John Cena. He let Cena wear his shorts and his tennis shoes and the jerseys and all that shit. That's how Cena dressed out of the ring as well. Those two guys were exceptions and that Vince felt that with them, that they were okay. And Vince says it wasn't anything that they went to them. And Undertaker on his own was like, well, shit, if everybody else has got to do it, I'll, I don't have a problem doing it. And Undertaker did, you know, start dressing in slacks and everything else, but in the beginning, Vince was like, no, that doesn't apply to you. I want you to be the undertaker in and out of the ring, your black jeans, your black boots. And you know, that's how he dressed, Let's but get it to wasn't the only thing he was ever out of code that I can remember is jeans and they were black jeans. So that's, that's pushing it a little bit on old Wade's part. 
Let's get to the no mercy pay-per-view. It goes down October 3rd, East Rutherford, New Jersey. JBL is going to get a win over the undertaker here in 21 minutes and two seconds. It's a hearse match. Uh, they're going to brawl ringside, use the stairs, use the tables. JBL's bleeding like a stuck pig. Heidenreich pops out of the hearse and attacks the undertaker. Of course, JBL eventually wins. Wade would write really good brawl, not great. And the finish was lame, but it was a main event worthy effort. Three and a half stars. First of all, who the fuck came up with a hearse match? The original idea was a, an ambulance match so that they had to fight back to the ambulance and the loser would, would leave in an ambulance. But then as you say that out loud, you realize, well, shit, it's undertaker should be in a hearse. So that's just how it came about because we were looking at different kind of matches. You had the limo that got destroyed the time before and just looking for maybe another vehicle to destroy, but it was a logical extension because of the undertaker and his character. Instead of an ambulance, you leave in a hearse. You just, you just get there eventually. Well, unfortunately, Undertaker had to start working house shows against Heidenreich around this time. Ooh. And on the October 28th SmackDown, they do a segment with Paul Heyman in a dark room, sitting across a table from the Undertaker. Uh, Undertaker lets him know that bygones can be bygones. And I'll give you a pass with Paul Bearer, but don't think for a minute, I won't take you out. And then eventually signs this contract for a match with Heidenreich. Fast forward a couple of weeks and Paul Heyman comes to ring ringside and shoves Michael Cole. Taz is there defending Michael Cole. So Heidenreich comes to the ring and challenges Taz, but before Taz can answer the lights go out. And when they come back on, there's the undertaker. And we have our stare down who had high hopes for this Heidenreich undertaker. He's a big bastard. Um, and you gotta, you know, it, it's funny people, a lot of times will say, oh, they never give us anything new. We want new. Well, you're getting new. Sometimes new isn't necessarily better. And we were trying to give them new, we were trying new things out and it wasn't necessarily better. Heidenreich was new and figured if he had a chance, then Undertaker can get something out of him. If he doesn't have a chance and he can't do something with Undertaker leading him, then maybe this business isn't for him. That was the idea behind it. So we looked at it and you got to try You got to try. I mean, at some point you can, everybody can talk about, oh, well, it sucks. You're not giving anybody new a chance. You give them a chance and they shit the bed, then you move on. But that's what it was. You're trying something new and not everything's going to work. Yeah. Well, this one didn't, but hopefully everything's working at your house. And if it's not, let me tell you, blue chew is your hookup. I'm talking about sex, good sex fellows at hiding, right? Sex that sneak surprise sex. You know, what we're talking about guys. Remember the days when you're always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed that you need with bluechew.com. Bluechew.com brings you the world's first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. So you can take them anytime, day or night. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you're ready whenever the opportunity arises. This isn't just for guys with a dysfunction, it's for any guy who wants to enhance their performance in the bedroom. And Blue Chew is prescribed online and it ships straight to your door in a discreet package, which means no in person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. 
Blue Chew is made right here in the USA, and since it ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. Tell everybody how they can get their dick real, real hard, Bruce. Well, and the best part of it is all, as Conrad just said, yeah, you're not waiting in line. You don't have to go to the pharmacy and, and say, oh, yeah, that's that's my prescription right there. And they send it directly to your home. And all you have to do to get yours is visit bluetooth.com. You get your first shipment absolutely free when you use our special promo code, WRESTLE. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping, and they're going to send it directly to your house. That's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Use our promo code WRESTLE to try it absolutely free, and your lady's going to love it, you're going to love it, and it is called Blue Chew, and it's a better, cheaper, faster choice. You know. It's kind of fitting we're talking about the dead man, too, because they say eventually rigor mortis will set in. So this is like the living version of rigor mortis for your dick meat, right? Exactly. You know, I was talking to Tony Schiavone the other day, and he told me that Blue Chew got him so hard, a cat couldn't even scratch it. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, Bruce? That's a southern term. Okay. So you scratch like the, the scratch. <laughs> Cats like to scratch, you know, them posts things like that and and tony's was so hard a cat couldn't scratch it does that mean it's good well, i understand blue chew's great okay i'll have tony send you some pictures okay all right so let's get to uh the match here survivor series november 14th <sighs> the gun arena undertaker beats heidenreich with a choke slam and a tombstone put us out of our misery here bruce what do you remember uh thank god it's over that's exactly what I remember. It was one of those where you're watching it going, fuck, please just go home. Please just go home and nobody get hurt. And that's exactly, that's all I remember from it was thinking just tombstone, please tombstone him, go home. Imagine if you're, if what you remembered most for in wrestling was simulating rape on Michael Cole. I mean, is that not Heidenreich's legacy? Yeah, that and his Alabama doink stuff. I I can't believe you went there, but that was quite the spectacle. November 18th, we see a SmackDown with JBL with Orlando Jordan gloating about retaining the WWE title. Booker T interrupts. Then Eddie Guerrero joins in and demands a title match. And then the undertaker reveals himself. And Teddy long says all three can face JBL for the title in a four-way match and Armageddon on the way there. We see, uh. Something kind of fun. JBL and Orlando Jordan beat Eddie Guerrero and Booker T and Danny and Doug Basham interfere from the crowd leading to JBL, getting the pinfall win over Guerrero. They're disguised under Lucha mass. And when the lights go off and back on the undertaker is standing mid ring and he beats up JBL and Jordan. So we're building towards something fun here. It's Armageddon December 12th in Atlanta. JBL gets the win in a four way here over Booker T undertaker and Eddie Guerrero Wade would say it was a solid four-way match, including some ladder spots. Taker kicked out after two Guerrero frog splashes. Heidenreich interfered late to hurt undertaker's chances. And the end saw some dramatic near falls and signature spots leading to JBL surprising Booker with a clothesline from hell for the pin three and a quarter stars. I actually watched this match for the first time in a long time. I mean, probably since it happened, it's actually better than I remember. 
I, I didn't hate this. A lot of talented guys in here. It does feel like they're sort of thrown together, but with this many talented guys, I mean, it's not really a surprise that it'll be that good. Probably. Well, it, to me, the surprise is I four ways can be clusterfucks. Right. And they actually got through and made it logical and, and watchable. So it was, it was pretty damn good. And you look at the talent involved. And as you just said, it, it has every right to be pretty damn good and should have been pretty damn good. So, um, in that case, I w- still, as you're going through that whole thing, I'm laughing when you're talking about Teddy long coming out and making the match for Armageddon. And I'm, I'm getting ready to interrupt you. And you went right there to the tag match on SmackDown because there was a time where we would joke every SmackDown with Teddy long coming out and going, Hey, Hey player. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to have ourselves a tag match tonight. And, <laughs> and it got to the point where it's like, we got to get that spot in somehow, some way Teddy's got to get his shit in. I player. It was a tag match. I love you for that. Holla holla. Um, do you have a Teddy long impression for real? Like, can you really try? I mean, obviously he made a lot of tag team matches and he used to put people up against the undertaker and those became memes and the funny little dance. Have you really tried to apply a Teddy long voice? Could we work on that for the show? Well, we can try. It was, it was, it, it just kind of went every time. Cause I produced all, all this shit backstage with Teddy for so many years and he would, he would walk in and I was like, all right, player, here's what we got. No, I, that's about it. It was like, holla, holla. And every holiday I get a, a holla, holla, master Bruce and, uh, Teddy long was God. He was so fun and so easy. You gave me shit. You walked away, you came back to do it, and he nailed it every time. And I can only remember Teddy having like one or two bad nights in all those years I worked with him. Um, just a, a, Teddy Long was the guy that, in my opinion, should have had a job for life just because he was so easy to work with and was never a problem. On the December 25th SmackDown from Iraq, Undertaker beats Heidenreich by countout. Hits him with a tombstone and then Heidenreich gets out of the ring, walks around and is counted out pretty, uh, eh, ending to the undertaker's Oh four rather forgettable year in his career overall. Wouldn't you say? Well, no, because it's, it, it was the return of the dead man. So as far as some of the, some of the matches and shit in between weren't that great, but to me it was a big year because it brought back the dead man character. So for that, I remember it and I go, okay, that, that was pretty cool. And not all, not all the programs were all that great along the way, which seemed to be the curse of the undertaker at times. Well, let's talk about the, uh, January 6th SmackDown undertaker wrestles Heidenreich and his partner, Paul Heyman. The finish saw some druids come out with a casket. And when the coffin opens, there's a loud creaking sound and this sound scares John away. So take her tombstones, Paul puts him in the casket and that gets us towards the Royal rumble where undertaker is going to wrestle Heidenreich. And, uh, well, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, the whole, you know, we went back to 
again, what had worked many, many, many years ago with Kamala originally when they did the casket matches and everything where Kamala was deathly afraid of the casket. And that was, if you were to poll most people, most people would tell you that they, they are afraid of caskets or it's creepy, creepy kind of deal. So the, the whole story behind it was Heidenreich being afraid of the, uh, of the casket and yeah, it was the shits, man. We just, Vince wanted to get, get, get more in. And unfortunately we did, and it just didn't work and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the best. I think people kind of remember, go back and remember that time as giant Gonzalez all over again. Yeah. And here we've got Gene Snitsky. Yeah. Who's going to do a run in here. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of, again, you know, had a lot of young talent and we had guys that were injured and not, not a lot to work with. So you go, you go in and you take guys that are on the roster and you try and make them, give them an opportunity. And Gene was a big, athletic, nasty-looking son of a bitch. And when they start double-teaming The Undertaker, after The Undertaker had, you know, the uh, triangle choke on Heidenreich, like that was going to be it, here comes Snitsky. And when they try to put him in the casket and sort of team up against our hero, who's in the casket but Kane, pretty basic, but the crowd goes bananas. Uh, And it is better than it actually sounds, especially when you see the reaction from the crowd. Um, your boy, Brian Alvarez would say this was really bad, but it could have been way worse. And a lot of that is just because there was maybe some blown spots. He would be critical. He being Brian Alvarez of a mistimed DDT and a mistimed choke slam, but then a picture perfect tombstone for the win. Overall, you pleased with this segment of the casket match? Yeah. Fuck. I was pleased it was over. All right, No Way Out, February 20th in uh, Pennsylvania. Here's a fun match that everybody probably forgot. Undertaker versus Luther Reigns. And uh, Jindrak gets ejected before the match even starts. (laughs) Brian would write, perhaps for excessive suckiness. Yeah, this is not the best match ever. And when it was over, Brian would write, this show needs a miracle. As you can imagine, DDT, Tombstone, That's the finish, but Brian couldn't help, but point out that Luther was quote, totally blown up and taker looked very pissed. What do you remember of Luther reigns and undertaker on a fucking pay-per-view? You know, we had that group of guys. You had, you had Jindrak O'Hare that came in and there were high hopes. You know, they, they were the power plant guys, the young kids from Atlanta that, Oh, they can only get a chance. And they got a chance. They got several chances. They, they weren't good in WCW. They weren't good for us. And Luther was a big guy, super, super guy, you know, one of those. And that's what happens is you, you get attached to talent outside of the ring and they've got these dynamic personalities and they're really great, but fucking something happens to them when they walk through the curtain and suckiness is a pretty good word. 
but Luther just did not have it. Uh, Luther came to us. He was good friends with Jack Doan and he would come around and he would help set up the ring and things like that. Had a great attitude, was willing to do anything. So we gave him a chance and we put him through a little bit of developmental big guy. Uh, Shane loved him and tried to do something with him, but he, he just wasn't ready. And, and a lot of times it may be maturity and it may just be an aptitude for not getting the business. And I don't think that, I think both of those were, they were something that, that Luther lacked. Well, let's talk about what's next. Randy Orton is on raw and makes a challenge to wrestle the undertaker at WrestleMania. And around this time, Orton's doing the legend killer gimmick. So I guess that's sort of the basis of the angle. Fast forward to March 17th. And we see a contract signing on SmackDown between undertaker and Orton. Teddy comes out to host it, but then he's interrupted by the raw GM, Eric Bischoff, who introduces Randy Orton and he gets a mixed reaction. What do you remember about the thinking of Orton undertaker? They're on separate shows who was for it. Who was against it? How did it get put together? Michael Hayes and Michael Hayes had this idea of, of doing something with Randy, Randy being a third generation wrestler. Randy was on a hell of a roll and we'd started this legends deal and being the legend killer. Well, the, the one legend is you're approaching WrestleMania. There, there was none bigger than the undertaker in the streak. And this was about the first time that the streak, you know, yeah, JR talked about it the year before, but now the streak, this was the first time it was a big part of the storyline going into the match. That Randy Orton, the legend killer, would kill the legend of The Undertaker and he would end the streak at WrestleMania. Um, man, I credit Michael Hayes with that and Michael making it a big deal. Michael was good about picking out those, those little nuances and bringing them to light. And for the, the people at home that love the statistics and, and look at things very analytical, that's a great story that you can, you can take and you can run just off of, I'm going to beat the streak at WrestleMania and embarrass you on the biggest stage of all. Well, let's get to it, man. Uh, the, the, the idea here is he's not afraid. So he may be 12 and oh, but all those other guys at WrestleMania were afraid and he slaps him. So to show that the undertaker has power that Randy should be afraid of, he does magic tricks like static to appear on the big screen, pyro explosions, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get to WrestleMania 21, April 3rd, Staples center, Los Angeles, California. And this is the third match on the card undertaker Orton. It gets a tremendous rating in the figure four weekly three and three quarter stars. And it's sort of fun because at one point fucking Bob Orton is out here with his cast, which is hilarious to me. Uh, but you know, the finish tombstone, here we go. what did you think? I thought the match was better than expected and, and it was sort of old school, but I loved the use of Bob Orton here. Yeah, I did too, because it was a natural, the, the thing about it was, uh, take her like Randy, Randy at that time, man, he was young, he was coming up and you're looking for the, you know, star for the future. 
he he was there and this this was one that hit you know we were looking for for stars in Jindrak. we were looking for stars in Heidenreich and Luther Reigns well now Randy Orton steps up and Randy hit it out of the park uh, they they had great chemistry and Randy could do damn near anything but you add <laughs> it was supposed to be again it's one of those this is supposed to be a one off have Cowboy Bob Orton come out for WrestleMania and that'll be a nice nostalgia deal, Bob being in the first WrestleMania. And, of course, that damn arm has never healed. I saw Bob in an a autograph signing not long ago. Man, that, that arm still hasn't healed. But they were they got along really well together and told really good stories, made beautiful music in the ring. No argument for me. It's a fun match. Probably a bit of a sleeper WrestleMania match for the undertaker. Certainly better than some stinkers we've seen in other years, like WrestleMania nine, not the undertaker's fault, just which, which by the way, don't think that wasn't thrown in my face. Every WrestleMania <laughs> with the undertaker, like you gave me fucking giant Gonzalez and King Kong Bundy motherfucker. Um, but this was, this was one. He had a guy he could work with and actually go out and have a great match. Uh, the June 16th SmackDown opens with a JBL promo. Eventually, uh, undertaker comes in and, uh, there's some, some action, some physicality and Teddy long announces that the main event is going to be undertaker versus JBL. Uh, later in the show, JBL would pin the undertaker when the new draft pick, Randy Orton does a run in and hits taker with an RKO. This is a little unusual. Why are you continuing the angle after WrestleMania? Well, because here's the deal for SmackDown, you, you never had, you never had that match, the match instead of an issue ending at WrestleMania, this was a way for an issue to begin at WrestleMania. So the whole build up to their match, their first match that anybody ever saw was at WrestleMania. And that was a way to kind of begin that issue in the angle with Randy Orton and let it continue cross over on the SmackDown on the other side of WrestleMania. Let's talk a little bit about what's next, because this is a pretty controversial moment. It's the July 7th SmackDown. We covered this in great detail on our Muhammad Hassan show. This is just a couple of days after the attack in London. Uh, you probably already know what happened here, but rather than me rehash it all, Bruce, tell everybody, you know, the cliff notes version of this Muhammad Hassan incident, just a few days after the London situation. Well, we, we shot it several days before the London incident. So it wasn't like we saw a London incident and, and then went and shot this deal. We had, we had shot an angle with Muhammad Hassan where they came out and he had a bunch of guys come out in masks and attack the undertaker and basically take the undertaker out over their heads, carry him from the ring to, to sacrifice him and the infidels. And, uh, Hassan was a controversial character, um, at the time with all the middle East stuff going on. And then after we shot it two days before it aired or a day before it aired, actually, um, they had attacks, terrorist attacks in London and they were all over the news and the word of terrorists, so on and so forth. We UPN had the show. They viewed it. We all looked at it. The decision was made 
to air it with a disclaimer that this was shot before the terrorist attacks and we are sensitive to it. And, um, UPN didn't have the wherewithal to get an edited show and get it out on time. Uh, they didn't have the capabilities to, to go live across the board in a lot of places. And, and it was, the decision was made, you know, let's air it and we'll put a disclaimer at the bottom and hope for the best. And it didn't get over real well. And think hindsight being 2020, first of all, I wouldn't do that kind of an angle. Um, but you know, you live and you learn bad decision. If you want more on that, we covered it in painstaking detail on the Muhammad Hassan episode. We're going to go ahead and just scratch all of that from here. And instead go to the great American bash July 24th, 2005 Buffalo, New York. Uh, this is going to be the final appearance of the Arab American character, Muhammad Hassan. Uh, prior to the match, of course, they had to, uh, play highlights, but they got to tiptoe around a little bit of this, but after the blowback they got, uh, for airing it, they need to just get away from him. And the way they do that is they have the undertaker remove two rectangle pieces of the stage and then give Muhammad Hassan the last rod power bomb through the opening to the concrete floor below. And after going through replays of Hassan taking the bump, they eventually focus on the area below the stage to show him splattered on the concrete with a pool of blood shown next to his fallen body as the paramedics and agents strap him to a stretcher and wheel him into an ambulance. I mean, this is the second time in this episode. We've talked about the undertaker killing a motherfucker. I didn't kill him. No, he wasn't dead. He was just badly injured. He, and here's, you know, here's what's crazy about people. Sometimes the same people that were appalled at the, the quote, you know, the terrorist reenactment, whatever that was shot before it actually, you know, for the terrorist thing had happened. We're applauding <laughs> that. Yeah. Some bitch give him what he gets, you know, by God, he deserves that. It's, you know, one minute it's entertain, you know, one minute it's real. The next minute it's entertainment and it's by God. Yes. Put him through that stage. Give him that last ride through there. And that's what's interesting a lot of times. And I love the people that will tell you when they find out you work in wrestling. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't watch that shit. I don't. Uh, I, I, I used to watch it a long time ago. But I'll tell you what. That other day when Daniel Bryan was wrestling that Kofi Kingston there and that, and that big old cell thing they got. Boy, that shit, that Kofi, I thought he had him. And it's like. You know, I thought you don't watch, you haven't watched in years, but they'll tell you every single thing up to date in detail, what's going on now and why they don't watch it anymore. So I love our audience. Well, cause our audience actually does watch. So let's... well, no, that's our audience is, is longing for that shit, man. They want, <laughs> they want, they want more. And like I said, man, it's, it's an informed, I love our audience. I just want to uh, reiterate to everybody that the undertaker killed Paul bear at great American bash 2004. And the next year he killed Muhammad Hassan. Nah, he didn't kill Hassan though. And, and Paul bear made a miraculous return, but yeah, Hassan was just disposed of. There's a difference between, between killing somebody and disposing of them, Connie. Okay. 
cool. Um, Undertaker's reaction to this whole angle, this heat, you know, do you remember having a conversation with him about it? Yeah. You know, we were all, we were all a little concerned on the, on the heat of it, but there comes, you know, there comes that point where are we entertainment or are we not? Well, it always has been and always will be entertainment. Sometimes just there's that line that people don't, don't understand. You can kill somebody on, on a soap opera in the middle of the day at three 30 in the afternoon when kids are watching TV and that's okay. And people believe soap operas are real, but to do it on a wrestling show, um, that's entertainment, no different is not okay. And that's just, but to answer your question, you know, Taker was, I think everybody was glad to be beyond it. It sucked for Hassan because we couldn't use the character and the character was getting over. And because of this, UPN requested that we not bring that character back on television anymore. And due to all the situations, you know, Hassan was, you know, go back to OVW and we'll come up with something different for you at a later time that, you know, never happened. Um, I think he was just shell shocked on everything as well, but it's that, that double standard has always amazed me. On the July 28th SmackDown, we see a number one contenders match for SummerSlam between Undertaker and JBL. Orton once again does a run in hitting Taker with an RKO and JBL gets the pin on August 11th. Teddy long would announce that he signed a legend to return to wrestle Orton. And then we see Randy Orton versus Kamala Orton wins with the RKO. And then Taker appears on the big screen and says, Orton's in trouble. And that gets us set up for SummerSlam 05. But before we talk about that, Kamala back here in 2005, were you reunited with his penis? And, and what did he have to say after seeing you, not seeing you for all those years? Um, big James. Yeah, it was, it was always nice to see James and I, you know, he's in a bad way now and, and it's just, it's uh it's a shame, but it was nostalgia and you talk about legends and what have you that for Randy, it's another one for Randy to slay and people reacted big and Kamala came out to a huge baby face reaction. So it was a good one night legend demolishing that took place. Let's get to uh, SummerSlam 05 undertaker and Orton. Here we go. Two and a half stars. Uh, you probably have an idea of what's coming up here, which is pretty crazy. Uh, double tombstone reversal. It ends with no, no tombstone. Um, undertaker rolls through a high cross hits a choke slam. And suddenly a man in a white suit with tennis shoes and a red hat hits the ring security escorts him out. Undertaker's distracted, walks into the RKO for the pin. And afterwards, Randy goes and hugs the man who rips off his makeup and reveals that it was actually Pete Rose. Okay. Not really. It's cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, so they put Orton and makeup, uh, sort of an interesting end here. Uh, you, what'd you prefer the Thanks. WrestleMania or the SummerSlam match? I prefer the WrestleMania match. No, we didn't just put him in fucking makeup. We had the makeup artist that did 
Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh my the God. same makeup artist that did Eric Bischoff for the, the Billy and Chuck wedding. Same people. Now, Bischoff, you could not recognize at all. Bob looked like it was Bob Orton in drag almost. It was it was terrible. And I remember going in and, and looking at it. And I went and got Vince. I said, Vince, th- this is fucking horrible. It's just, I mean, just looked like Bob has been on a bender or something. And Vince went down and it was one of the few times that I've ever seen Vince <laughs> lose his cool with, with an outside vendor like that. Because these people cost a lot of money to come in and, and do this type of makeup and do this shit. And it's a whole team. It's like three or four people and they would come in and, and put all this makeup and shit on. And it's fucking horrible. It's just, it looked horrible. I mean, you go back and look at it and it's, it's just, it's Bob Orton with some makeup and shit on, but it was supposed to be prosthetics and make him look like a young guy. And, and it just, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really good. But, uh, the idea again, using Bob to save his boy. Oh, damn. It's all good. Let's, uh, around the same time, I guess it was around this time. A three disc DVD set comes out on the undertaker. One of the first times you did something like this, does a talent like the undertaker have any input on that at all? Or does it just show up and he's like, oh, cool. I guess this is out. No, a lot of times, you know, guys like under actually everybody, man, the, the production team will come in and they work with the talent just to get their input on what their favorite matches are. And they do interviews with them going back and forth, but they want it to be, have them a part of it. Yeah. Definitely. Everybody does usually have input on their, at that time, their DVDs, if you will, and just different specials coming up. Let's talk about the September 16th episode of SmackDown. It's going to be a SummerSlam rematch between Undertaker and Randy Orton and a coffin comes to ringside. And when Undertaker opens it, there's an Undertaker in the coffin. You guys did this before WrestleMania 12 too, with Diesel. Who was in the coffin here portraying Undertaker? That was Kane. And, but on TV, obviously we shot earlier. We had undertaker actually in the dam in the coffin, but this time we had Kane in the, you know, the whole thing. It's funny how, when you go back and look at things, when we did the coffin with diesel, we had a very expensive dummy made of diesel. And when we looked at it on camera, it looked like a wax fucking figure and it just didn't look good. And Kevin Nash is sitting there going, why the fuck don't I just get in there now and, and shoot it and put that in. And that's the same thing that we did with undertaker here. So we shot everything with is with undertaker in the casket. And then we put Kane and undertaker makeup and had him in there. The finish sees undertaker choke slamming cowboy, Bob Orton, and then tombstoning Randy Orton for the pen. All right, let's keep it going here. Um, the September 23rd SmackDown cowboy, Bob Orton is standing in the ring next to a casket. Monks are chanting. Bob calls out Randy. They open up the casket and there's the undertaker. But the idea is this is not the undertaker, but rather a lifelike mannequin. And as it turns out, it's really the undertaker. And Orton was yelling about how he destroyed taker last week. And I killed you physically when all of a sudden the undertaker 
comes to life and scares the Ortons off. What'd you think of this segment? It was a good fun segment, just a way to continue the issue going with the, you know, you got the addition of cowboy Bob out there now and being able to gloat with his boy and undertaker and Randy Orton, they were having good matches and people were interested in it. And it was a good story to, to slay the dragon on Randy Orton's part. So it was, it was a good story that we just continued, continued on. He continued on September 30th when cowboy Bob would challenge undertaker for a match, promising Randy wouldn't interfere. Of course, when that match happened, Randy did, uh, eventually though, taker just gets up, chokeslams, Bob and wins. And that's the end. And that gets us to the no mercy pay-per-view October 9th in Houston near the end of the match. Undertaker places cowboy in the casket and is attempting to put Randy in as well. After performing a last ride on Randy undertaker goes to open the casket, but when he does Bob sprays a fire extinguisher in his eyes. And then Randy hits taker with a folding chair, puts him in the casket and the Orton's close the casket to win the bout, which is kind of fun. Then they lock the undertaker in the casket, hit it with an ax, pour gasoline on it and light it on fire, which is something we saw Kane do at Royal rumble way back in 1998. Uh. This but really- on this night, Conrad, the the fucking casket wouldn't light. And I was standing about 10, 20 yards away in, in the arena. And I'm trying to get Randy's attention that he needs more oxygen. He's got to he's got to uh, get more oxygen. And I'm ready. I'm sitting there and I said, I'm going to run and go grab Randy and tell him that he's got to open up the casket more to let it breathe more so they can get a big fire going. And right as I'm getting ready to run in and and go grab Randy and have him throw me while I'm telling him what to do, the fucking casket goes, and we all about shit our pants. So (laughs) I almost got my ass blown up and everything in, in between, but finally it, it lit and it was, it was a scary, scary deal. That was, that was one of those that we did not have a friendly fire marshal and, uh, we had to do it. I don't know how many times during the day. And then when we did it live, it was like, just go for it. I mean, we'll pay whatever fine we have to do afterwards, but let's just go for it. And it was a battle. It was, it was a fucking battle to get that damn thing to light. Taker winds up taking about a month off until survivor series and at the survivor series at the end of the elimination match for raw and SmackDown after Randy Orton pins Shawn Michaels to win the match for SmackDown, the SmackDown roster comes in the ring to celebrate. And then some Druids drag a coffin out and open it up and inside is the undertaker. But before it was opened, a lightning bolt comes down from the ceiling and lights the casket on fire. Taker tosses Orton outside and then destroys everyone in the ring. What about this way to bring him back with lightning bolts and caskets and fires? Oh my. Uh, He's an undertaker. You got to have lightning bolts and fire. Fuck. the, The lightning bolt ignites to bring him back to life. Haven't you ever seen Frankenstein? That's how this shit works. I got it. Okay. On the December 2nd SmackDown during the Orton Matt Hardy match after Orton wins, the undertaker's gong is going off and undertaker keeps talking from the heavens about caskets and destiny saying things like you tried to kill me, but I'm the one who does the killing. 
but apparently you're going to tell me he didn't really say that, even though he definitely killed Paul Bear and Muhammad Hassan. Okay. First of all, he just got rid of Muhammad Hassan and Paul Bear was buried in a concrete crypt. Okay. I'm with you so far, but did he not say I'm the one who does the killing? What was he referring to? If he's not referring to the people we actually watched him murder on pay-per-view. No, he was going to kill Randy. Okay. But he hadn't killed yet. No, no. He's the one that does kill him. He plans to, he hasn't actually plans to, right? Okay. I got no, it. he buries somebody in a concrete crypt and just got rid of another, another, one. all right. Follow me. <laughs> I do want to mention here in December, the undertaker's DVD we mentioned, um, had sold 155,000 units. A couple of months later in February, it would become the best selling non-pay-per-view DVD ever up to that point, even beating out the rise and fall of ECW, which held the old record. So that DVD very, very popular. Uh, the December ninth SmackDown Orton's in the bathroom and he looks in the mirror and there's the undertaker. Boy, does this feel very WCW ultimate warrior ish terrified. He turns around, but no one was there later in the show. Randy and Bob are fleeing when Josh Matthews catches up for an interview. And then all of a sudden he coughs or something and becomes possessed by the undertaker. That's right. Josh Matthews mouth starts moving, but the undertaker's voice comes out. What the fuck is happening? Who booked this shit? He was possessed by the spirit of the undertaker. Fuck. <laughs> I booked this shit. <laughs> Who the fuck you want from me? You on hocus pocus shit. God, God damn it. We got to be entertaining. So yeah. I booked that shit. It was good. How about when when Josh rolled his eyes into the back of his head? My God. And then he was possessed. Undertaker made his eyes roll in the back of his head. That's how much possession that Undertaker had over Josh Matthews. And then Josh Matthews, once the Undertaker had taken over his body, tweeted out that he was the best announcer ever. In the world. Ever. He's like the vice president of all things media in the world. I'm sure he is. Okay. Uh, let's get to the Armageddon pay-per-view. It goes down in December of 05, Providence, Rhode Island. We see Randy Orton and the undertaker now in a hell in a cell match. Um, yeah. How about this? Lots of blood in this one, a ton of blood. In fact, including even the referee, uh, everybody's bleeding here. It gets three and a quarter stars. According to Brian Alvarez, lots of blood. What'd you think? I thought that the match was excellent and it, in my opinion, it was an, another match that really solidified Randy Orton's status is he's a top guy that can really go and undertaker and Randy, this was one of those, okay, this will be the blow off, but maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe we can keep going. The idea behind it originally was this was the blow off. And it was an annihilation. Everybody, you know, everybody bleeds. And, uh, yeah, this was supposed to be that, that big blow off match. And I thought that for me, this was probably the best match that they had. And it, it lived up to the hype of the hell in a cell that, you know, bodies were going to be crippled and blah, 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 and all this other shit. But it, it lived up to the hype without having to do, um, some crazy bump off the, the top of the cage and shit. This was, um, 
this was old school, you know, cage match. We're going to settle this in the cage. Nobody in, nobody out type of thing, even though everybody got in and out. Um, I just thought it was an old school blow off. Great match. Absolutely great match. Let's talk about the rumor and innuendo, because I don't know when we'll talk about it again, but on the heels of this match, uh, a few websites were reporting that maybe there was a health issue with Bob Orton that wasn't reported. And maybe he had heat as a result because he was bleeding in this match. I wasn't there. And if it's not true, it feels like an ugly thing to even talk about, but it was reported at the time. Do you remember hearing anything about Bob Orton having a health issue here that was discovered after the fact? Yeah. And, and that was, I don't know, there was rumor and innuendo, but that is, that's definitely what I heard that Bob had a form of hepatitis that wasn't discovered. You know, he had done it. So here's the thing. He had done all the tests and they'd gotten one set of results and it's like, okay, he's good. He's good to go. And then later on more blood tests come back. And after the fact, uh, not before the fact, but after the fact where it's like, okay, there may be an issue here, but I don't know that it was, I think that it got blown out of proportion, but there was definitely concern, especially on undertaker's part where he felt, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, I'm out there and, and it's one thing for him to be in the ring and, going back and forth, but you know, now that he's bleeding and you're, you know, everybody, everybody was bleeding and mixing and so on and so forth. And that's, you know, that gets into the ugly part of the business that you never thought about, you know, back at, back in the day, nobody, nobody gave two shits about that. It wasn't a concern, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't something that people noticed. And then with our testing, that was new at this time as well. You know, you're, you're looking for the obvious, you're looking for heart issues. You're looking for something that would prevent someone from physically being able to go in the ring. And that wasn't one of those big red flags for whatever reason. And it was a, it was a learning, you know, it was a learning lesson that, uh, now I don't think that anybody, you know, it's going to step foot in the ring without 100% complete medical clearance. And unfortunately, sometimes you, you have to make mistakes to learn lessons. And unfortunately, that's kind of what happened here. Any heat on anybody as a result? I mean, this doesn't seem like it was something that was malicious. No, it wasn't malicious at all. I, I don't think, I definitely don't think Bob knew. Um, Randy didn't know. I don't know anybody knew until after the fact. And then there's the double, it's like, okay, well, this is discovered. So there's concern for everybody involved in the match. There's concern for Bob. And it's just uh, that, that lesson that you learn that, okay, we need to be, we need to be better on our end as far as making sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed prior to this. I don't know that it, that that question, um, ever would have even been brought up because it was so commonplace in, in the business for so many years that you didn't think about those things. And now you're in 2005, 2006, whatever. And, and the, those are real concerns and these are real things happening that you have to be, you have to be cognizant of. And it changed the, the, the changes in the business over the last 
you know, 10, 12 years have been tremendous um, for the better. So it was, unfortunately, you got to stumble a little bit and fall down before you can get up and run. How, how quickly after do you discover? I mean, is this something, I mean, just take us through what that testing process looked like at the time. And again, it's a different time. Well, the testing was done beforehand, before Bob ever even got in the ring or anything like that. But the results, the, the different stages of results didn't come back until after. Um, so I don't know when they discovered it, but it was it was probably like a week or two after the fact. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was that day or that night or anything like that or even the next week. It was a week or two after. Not to be silly, but... Doesn't it kind of defeat the point of doing testing if you don't get it until after you've already done it? Well, no, because the, you're looking at different things and this had never come up. There's a first time for everything, unfortunately. And when you're looking at heart tests and you're looking at the, okay, does this guy have anything that would prevent him? That wasn't something that, that they knew to look at. And after the fact, when it comes up, it's like, oh shit. So it was a mistake. It wasn't, everything was new. It was, it was all new. You're discovering as you go. So it wasn't anything malicious. It wasn't really even like anybody fucked up. It was two years, three years before that, there wouldn't have even been testing to know. Right. So this was new that we were working our way through and learning as we went. And again, that's how you learn. That's how you get better. And it was an unfortunate situation that happened. And again, nothing, nothing Bob Orton did, nothing Taker did, nothing Randy did. It was just an unfortunate, unfortunate situation that took place. And, and again, nobody, thank God, knock on wood, you know, nobody was harmed in the process and, and nothing was, you know, nothing transferred, nothing, nothing bad happened on either part. Um, but still it's scary. And it, it helps you be better in the future. Let's talk about the December 16th SmackDown. Randy Orton comes out with 15 minutes left in the show and announces that at 25 years old, he'd accomplished more than most people here had in their whole life. He'd been the youngest WWE champion. He'd been the sole survivor three years in a row at survivor series. He was now a certified legend killer. And despite all that, it hit him recently that nobody could kill the legend of the undertaker. And he put over how scary the cell was. And he said he was going to do something. Nobody seemed to do anymore. Quote, I'm going out on top. And as of right now, I hereby announce my retirement from the WWE End quote, lots of cheers, lots of booze, mostly booze. And Teddy long comes out and says that Randy has a contract and he's committed. And if he doesn't show up at the pay-per-view, he'll sue him for breach of contract for everything he's worth. And Randy says, he's not going to change his mind. He's done. He's out of here. And then the undertaker comes out with the monks Orton jumps taker. Eventually, uh, we, we understand that one of the monks was actually cowboy Bob Orton and he's holding the urn and Randy gives taker the RKO, but taker sits up. So Randy nails him with a chair shot and takers bleeding and Orton is then just nailing him with chair shots. And then eventually finishes him off by hitting him with the urn. So this is the feud that won't end. Uh, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for the undertaker in 05. What'd you think of this last segment here with the fake retirement announcement and, uh, Bob being one of the Druids. 
Well, I, again, I thought it was good. I wrote it. So <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought it was good. So it was the feud that wouldn't end because it was good and people were still into it. Continue it on. As long as you have a strong heel and somebody that people want to see get their ass kicked, then you've still got something to, to go on. And Randy and Taker had good chemistry. I think that Taker's 05 was better than his 04 probably because of the level of opponents that Undertaker had, specifically Randy Orton. And it brought Orton's stock way up, but it also allowed Undertaker to work a different style and begin to work more like the American badass and not have to do the the all of the old set Undertaker things that you would expect, the no-sell and things like that. It allowed Taker to sell things and become a lot more rounded in how he worked in the ring. So let's talk a little bit about what's next. It's the Royal rumble, January 29th, Miami, Florida. And during the undertaker or during the Kurt angle, Mark Henry match for the world title after angle pins, Henry, the lights go out and undertakers here. He and angle have a stare down and taker indicates that he wants the belt. Why was it done this way? Royal rumble. He's just back out of nowhere. I want the belt. It's a big stage and it's just something to be able to get out in front of everybody on the, you know, kind of a pay-per-view to pay-per-view type thing and started out there. Obviously we reiterated it on television. You know, it's funny because I go back to the American badass with undertaker and Kurt angle where taker wasn't sure if he could get a match out of Kurt. And then once he got in the ring with Kurt, um, I think if Undertaker had the preference of working with Kurt Angle every night uh, for the rest of his life, would probably want to do that because they just had great chemistry and worked so damn well together. And trying to recreate that as well. Now you got a new character in the dead man and Kurt. I didn't really love the promos on the way here, though. It's Kurt Angle saying things like, you may be the phenom, but I'm a wrestling machine and you know, the only thing we have in common is once the bell rings, I don't have a soul either. Cause I'm a machine. And then of course the undertaker is, well, come no way out. You're going to rest in peace, but they make up for it because that no way out match. If you haven't watched it in a while, no way out of six, February 19th in Baltimore, badass. Uh, Brian Alvarez will give it four and a quarter stars. Really, really a good match. Uh, towards the end, uh, angle hits the slam. He's going for the cover, but taker puts him in the triangle again. And the ref's checking the arm when Angle suddenly uh, jumps over into a bridge and gets the pin. So it's a damn incredible match with a nice finish that wasn't necessarily sort of paint by numbers. Lots of good stuff. If you haven't watched this in a long time, go out of your way to see it. Uh, these guys are pulling out all the stops. They're going through tables and everything in between on the way here. What'd you think of this match? I you said it all, man. It was absolutely excellent. And this was again, showing that, and I would go to, I would go to take her after the matches with Randy. And then this particular match with angle and say, see, told you so, because you could take that undertaker character, the dead man. And he was able to adapt, adapt the style to work with anybody, including an Olympic gold medalist. They made it believable. You believed throughout this whole match and they believed 
in angle, especially after he pinned the undertaker, it was, it was all logical. It was just put together beautifully and told a great story. And for that, for the time that they were in the ring, bell to bell, the audience was mesmerized. They, they could suspend their disbelief and they believed that those two guys in the ring were giving everything they had, which they were to win that match. And they didn't know who was going to win. And I think they were waiting. Okay, how are they gonna? How are they gonna fuck? Uh, how are they gonna fuck Kurt? How are they gonna get out? I think a lot of times I'll. How are they gonna get out of this match? Got out of it with with a pinfall, and that was that was nice as well. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about what's next because it feels like it comes out of nowhere. On the March 3rd SmackDown, we see a rematch for Angle and Taker for the world title. Taker hits the tombstone on Angle, and then Mark Henry attacks the Undertaker, which causes a DQ and sets up their angle. And at this point, Mark Henry's been in the company for like 10 years, but he's never even worked a program with the Undertaker. Why the decision to put him with Undertaker here? Is it just, hey, he's big. He needs a match. Put him with Undertaker. I was sitting at my desk in Houston and Vince calls me and says, I've got an idea. What do you think about ending Undertaker streak? I said, well, the right guy he's made. He says, God damn that big bastard, Mark Henry. He's ready. And there was silence. I'm like, really? Um, Mark had been here 10 years, she said, and it wasn't, it wasn't anything against Mark, but I didn't think that Mark Henry beating and ending the streak would catapult him to the next level. I I, I wanted to do it with somebody, for example, Randy Orton, the, the year before would have would have made Randy and and that would have been a hell of an investment going forward. Mark Henry wasn't ready at that point. Now Mark became a hell of an attraction later on. And I think that when Mark was the world champion and ECW champion, that he did a great job, but I just didn't think he was ready. And there was also a part of me that was thinking, shit, I got to pitch this. And I said, well, I'll run it by him. And I ran it by him and his reaction was the same as mine. It was pretty much silence. And he asked what I thought. And I told him, I, I don't think it's a good idea, but, um, try it on. See if there, if there's something you think, you know, that might work. And he came back and said, okay, if that's what you guys want to do, um, that's really what Vince wants. And then Vince, as we got closer to it, got cold feet, I guess, and just realized that, you know, maybe Mark wasn't ready at that time for it. And I don't know that there was a real solid plan on the other side either to make it work. And, and Heyman hated it. I don't know anybody that, that was like, woohoo, let's go, let's go do this. Uh, other than Vince, but it was, you know, sometimes you just got to try shit on and 
throw it out there. And sometimes when you throw it out there, you need to just throw it the fuck away too. Well, that's how we got there. Do you think you should have thrown this one the fuck away? Well, not so much the match. I'm fine with the match, but I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't fine with the finish. I wasn't fine with, uh, Mark taking, uh, the streak at that time, which, you know, obviously he didn't do, but I was fine with the match because it was, it was kind of a challenge, you know, okay, big boy, let's see if you can get a match out of him and them having the match, I think was again, evidence that Mark wasn't ready for it at that time. Maybe two years later, he might've been, but at that time he just wasn't ready for it. And it, and it showed it, but the match was not, you know, it wasn't a great match by any stretch of the imagination. And, um, but again, sometimes you got to try shit and take her some bastard that's <laughs> gets all the big guys thrown at him and wonders, what did I do? What did I do? And then it gets worse. This takes us to WrestleMania 22, April 2nd, Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. Uh, it's every Undertaker versus Big Man match you ever saw. Uh, Alvarez would give it a star and a quarter. It is interesting, though. He, he managed to nail the tombstone, which is pretty cool uh, because, you know, Mark Henry's a big boy. And uh, we do see Taker do the running tope over the top rope and the casket on to Mark Henry. So, I mean, that's kind of cool, but there are chants here from fans who are not pleased maybe with undertaker's opponent. What'd you think of the match? They tried and Taker really tried to make Mark Henry because that was the challenge, but the audience didn't, the audience didn't want to see it. Well, they didn't think Mark was ready either. It's, um, it's a relief at least because after this Mark Henry match, now undertaker's got something to really sink his teeth into. Oh yeah. On April 7th on SmackDown, we see the debut of the great Kali who's here to beat up the undertaker. That means it's going to be his judgment day opponent on May 21st in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Undertaker and great Kali, man. Uh, Brian Alvarez would write Kali selling. If you can identify it as such was monumentally bad. Uh, Kali never took a single bump the entire time. The closest he came was stumbling backwards and getting tied in the ropes. And this is a miracle of a match that had ever happened. I understand you see a guy that big. And you think, man, that'd be a spectacle. But then as you like to say, then the bell rang. What'd you think? Great Kali undertaker. I bet Undertaker's still not talking to you over this. Yeah. <laughs> That's worth mentioning yeah. here. I want to mention Kali wins. This is not a, I mean, we're not, we're not squashing him here. He beat the fucking undertaker. Yes, he did. He, he beat sure him clean. He, this is debut. 
And his debut match is well, a clean victory over the undertaker. And here's the philosophy, bringing guy in on top. They accept him as a top guy. Um, and, and, and here's the other thing, you know, that the chop that Kali did, um, look like shit hurt like hell. Kali gave me that chop working and I thought that my entire body had compressed my neck hurt for weeks. And I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, he was just playing with me. He's a big, strong, massive son of a gun, clumsy as fuck all. Um, very sweet man, very, very nice guy. Uh, but just wasn't wasn't very good. I think that's that's the best way to to put it. And Vince, you know, loves the Giants and the big men. And standing next to Kali, you know, he makes any and everybody look small. Undertaker was was dubbed the guy. You know, you think you can get something out of him? Mark tried, did what we could, <laughs> but he was not. Uh, he was not the working giant. That Big Show was a working giant. Andre was a working giant. Well, giant Gonzalez and Kali were just big motherfuckers. I've got bad news for you. Next up is the great American bash where for the prior two years, the undertaker <laughs> murdered a human Paul Barron. Oh, four Muhammad Hassan. in oh, five. Can't he wait to see concrete, who con con concrete crypt and got rid of. Okay. Well, here we are. Great American bash of six, July 23rd in Indianapolis. Who's he going to kill this year? The fans, uh, the match is undertaker big show in a Punjabi prison match. I can't believe this is fucking real life. It, as if it's not enough that there is a Punjabi prison match. It's not even with great Kali. It's undertaker and big show, which I guess we should be thankful for, but holy shit. What is this? This is the worst piece of shit TV ever. Go back and watch this great American bash. Oh six. No, I don't recommend that. Don't yes. Don't. Watch it. No, it's awful. Check well, me. here's the thing. People, people that have, or at least, uh, have some kind of consultation or, or, or something, but the folks that that built the Punjabi prison had never, had never worked obviously. And they built the sturdiest motherfucking structure you could imagine. Wait a minute. So this is not a working Punjabi prison. No, this is shooting Punjabi prison made with steel. That was heavy as fuck, non-forgiving painted to look like bamboo and hurt like hell. Then you got the inner cage that, that no one has really figured out yet how this is going to work. And I, I liken this match to that King of the Hill match thing that they had in TNA where, okay, you win. Then this guy goes in a penalty box and you hold the title till somebody else beats somebody else and all this other bullshit. I can't even tell you what the, 
premise of the Punjabi prison match was. They started in the inner cage and doors opened for a certain period of time, like a minute or whatever. Then they closed. And then you're in the cage again. And the idea was to escape from the inner cage to get to the outer cage to escape the outer cage. And, oh, it was... Everybody saw it for the first time day of. And Big Show and Taker walking around going, what the fuck are we going to do in this? So trying to, to get there. Um, look, I give, I give Taker and Big Show mega, mega kudos for going in and at least having some kind of a match in the thing and, and trying to make it work. They did the best they could, but it was a it was a flawed premise to begin with. You're looking for a you know another elimination chamber, another hell in a cell, something that would be. And and the other thing is it's it's a Punjabi prison, so how does it make sense for anybody other than <laughs> Kali, who was a prison guard in India, to have this fucking match? Where's where I so anyway? Um, hey, we tried. Yeah, sounded you know sounded good on paper in the beginning. Allegedly, Kali is removed from this match because he had some sort of elevated liver elevated, enzymes or yeah. something like that. What was going on with that? Yeah, I, it was some kind of a condition, but he couldn't get cleared by a doctor. Um, there was there was concern over his elevated liver enzymes. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Other than I know that he was not cleared to wrestle and we had this fucking match booked. So you, you can only replace a giant with a giant. That's a rule. So the match was in the bylaws. A lot of times I think people assume when this match moves, you would move it to SummerSlam, but instead it's moved from SummerSlam to an episode of SmackDown. And it's not even the main event. An undertaker would beat Kali after hitting him with the chair and then the choke slam. And that kept Kali down for the 10 count. Thank God. Uh, how would you compare his matches with Kali to giant Gonzalez? About the same, but they were, I think they were a little better with Kali because there was, uh, I, I think that Kali again, Kali just didn't know, but Kali would work stiff sometimes. And so there was a little natural, um, potatoes, taters being thrown on both sides. Or Taker would light Kali up whenever Kali would be a little heavy in the ring. So th that added to it a little bit, but not enough for the audience to notice. Let's talk about uh, where we go from here. Kali's going to have to have double knee surgery. He's out for a while. So thankfully, Undertaker starts a feud with Mr. Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy is in the ring on an episode of SmackDown cutting a promo, and Undertaker comes down, tells him he's going to rest in peace. Kennedy threatens to hit him with the microphone that's hanging from the ceiling, which was a fun little gimmick that Kennedy did, but the mic blows up and hurts his hands. So it's a fun little way to get something going. Why were these guys put together? Well, Ken, man, I thought Ken was a hell of a worker and Ken was one of those guys that could cut a great promo. Ken got natural heat with the audience, but he also was able, he was so damn entertaining that the audience liked him as well. But 
Ken had, I think by this point, had already worked with Batista. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but Ken was proving himself to be a hell of a hand. And you got <laughs> poor Undertaker <laughs> had been working. You, know, you go from Mark Henry to the great colleague. Give me somebody that can work. So Kennedy got that nod and he was thrown into a little, little deal with the undertaker here for a while. Well, it's, uh, it's fun for me because I really enjoyed Kennedy and I don't know when we'll talk about him again. So let's briefly discuss it now. You know, he's a guy who, for whatever reason has been reported to have heat. And even a few weeks ago, he was on record as saying he thinks maybe the reason he was never brought back is because of some things he said when he left the company and he should have handled it a little better. Chat me up. Uh, did Kennedy have heat where and how, and when did it come from? Why didn't we see more of him in the WWE? You know, I don't, when I was there and I wasn't there when, when Kennedy left, however, you know, before that I was there for, for Ken, when he got injured, there was the big push with the money in the bank thing. Then Ken got injured. It was a little bit of a feeling that Ken was injury prone and maybe it was almost afraid of success in some ways. So there was that rap on him. Plus, it, you know, it didn't always help Ken's stock that, uh, you know, Paul Heyman was a big Ken Kennedy fan and he would constantly promote Kennedy, which didn't always help you. But I thought Ken could go and and I liked Ken and thought that, done right with the right guy that, that he could really get over. And I think Kennedy did get over. Unfortunately, he would get to a certain point and for whatever reason would fumble the ball, whether it was an injury or, or something else. And look, everybody um, says stupid shit when they leave. I think that, you know, you're, you're upset and you're put in a position where you're asked questions or whatever. And you, you do, you do what's going to further you now because, well, I'm not working there anymore. Maybe this will endear me to another crowd. And I guess Ken might've done that, but I don't know what the heat was. If there was any heat, I, for the most part, when I was there, Ken seemed to get along with everybody. And there was just that feeling of being injury prone. The match here is not the best match ever. Uh, this no mercy match. It, it only gets a star in three quarters from Brian Alvarez. Uh, it's a roughly a 20 minute match and Taker's going to take the belt and just nail Kennedy in the head with it. And ta-da, uh, that's your finish. The next night on the raw family reunion show, undertaker would challenge John Cena for the WWE title. It lasts a little over four minutes before Big Show and Booker T run in for the DQ. Kennedy comes out also, uh, so it's a bit of a schmoz. But that gets us a rematch set up for Survivor Series on November 26th, which is Undertaker and Kennedy in a first blood match. And this is a better match to me than the first one. Um, but it's sort of interesting because there's no blood. Yeah. Um, so I have a first blood match. MVP comes out and, and Kennedy is, is bleeding from the mouth. 
and MVP comes out, wipes off the blood and tries to hide the fact that Kennedy's bleeding and a turnbuckle is exposed. Kennedy drops undertaker on it. And it almost looks like the undertaker pretends to get color, but when he stands up, there's no blood MVP hits the ring. Uh, the ref stops him. I thought it was no DQ. The ref takes a bump. MVP tries to hit Kennedy, but clocks Taker instead. Of course, Taker comes up bleeding here and loses the match. This is a really weird finish. Is it fair to say that Kennedy and Taker just didn't gel? I mean, this is memorable because of the silliness with MVP, but eh, it's not what it could be. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. It was, you know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. And the finish was the finish. Undertaker got screwed with with Kennedy hitting him and seeing the blood. But it was it was an old finish that we used to do. God, we used to do it with guys bleeding like stuck pigs and have somebody come out and wipe the blood off of him and go, no, he's not bleeding and or wipe the blood, wipe the blood on the other guy and wipe the blood off of them. And that's how they would lose the first blood match. Cause the referee would come to and see the other guy with blood on him. He's not bleeding and ring the bell. So it was a variation of that finish. I didn't think it was that bad. Well, let's keep it going. I can't believe they wanted more of this. The Armageddon pay-per-view on December 17th in Richmond, Virginia was a hearse match. Uh, probably not his most memorable feud here, but the undertaker throws Kennedy into the hearse, drives it out of the arena to win the match. Uh, what'd you think? Did this elevate Kennedy at all? Yeah, I think it did just by being in the ring with the undertaker and it got him in, got him in a high profile issue and on television that where he was working with somebody that people actually cared about. So I think it was good for Kennedy and it's one of those that, Maybe they didn't have the greatest matches in the world, but yet they had some pretty entertaining promos leading up to it. And it put Kennedy in a position of being top guy and being in the ring with a top guy. The uh, tribute to the troops is December 8th. And the undertaker is going to wrestle Johnny nitro here. Taker wins with a tombstone. And that brings us to the end of the undertakers, 2006, maybe not the most memorable stretch of years here, but. Uh, wow. Did he have a varied, um, group of opponents here to say the least fair to say no shit. You know, he starts off the year with Randy Orton and Kurt angle and ends up uh, and then goes to Mark Henry to the great Kali. <laughs> oh, that poor bastard. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the best, but I think he made up for it in later years. Well, and you can make up for lost time right now with Ageless Male Max. Tell them all about it, Bruce. Well, hell, man. Ageless Male Max, it's a patent-pending formula with an ingredient that helps boost your total testosterone. It promotes greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage than exercise alone. Plus, an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym 
and in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. And you can try your first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling. When you text the word RAM, R-A-M, to 797979, just text the word RAM to 797979 to get your first 30-day bottle for free. Message and data rates may apply. I want to mention too, that, uh, we're doing some questions for these shows on Patreon. So if you've got a question about the undertaker, you'll be able to ask Bruce live next week. You can chat with him live and just ask questions right there at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle only like nine bucks to get you in there. Lots of bonus content. You recently had Jr. on, I know you've had Jerry Briscoe I know you've had JBL. The format of the show is no guests, but, uh, we break all the rules over on Patreon, including you get to ask Bruce whatever you would like. And if you haven't already, you should go check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. I also want to remind you to help us out and take that survey over at podsurvey.com forward slash wrestle. It is the easiest, fastest, cheapest way to support the show. And if you'd like to see the show, we want to tell you that New York is going very, very fast. Uh, tickets are almost sold out for Bruce and I on the Saturday before WrestleMania at brucepritchard.com. And then the Monday night after WrestleMania, right after Raw, something we've never done before. Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard, and myself, it is going to be the place to be. And tickets are on sale right now at brucepritchard.com. Special shout out to everybody who tried to buy tickets in Europe. Go to brucepritchard.com right now. We've got all the information on how you can make it happen. And we're still coming to see you, Indiana. And you get to see a wrestling show too. Crown Point, Indiana on the 8th, the next day in Cleveland. Uh, we're nearly sold out right before fast lane. So check all these locations out at brucepritchard.com. There's even a link there for our super show in Connecticut with Eric Bischoff and the rumor and innuendo is that we might have a big guess. So cross your fingers and uh, make sure to pick up the ticket over at brucepritchard.com. And all my love to Australia because March 22nd going to be in Sydney, 23rd in Melbourne, and the 24th of March in Brisbane. So uh, all. All my fans in there in Australia coming down solo show. Please come out and see me. And of course you can get tickets at brucepritchard.com. And if you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Uh, go hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and look forward to what's coming your way because we've had lots of questions. Are you guys going to cover WrestleMania 10? Yes, we are. Are you guys going to cover WrestleMania 20? Yes, we are. We've got those shows and more coming your way. Uh, you can always keep up with what's coming next. And when we have a poll, vote on it. We're having those polls end at the end of SmackDown. So if there's a poll, you can always check it out during Raw or SmackDown at 83 Weeks on Twitter, and you'll be able to throw your vote down right there. He is at Bruce Richard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time, uh, but we'll see it before you know it in Connecticut with Eric Bischoff next weekend. Tickets on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. And Bruce, when I look at my clock, I feel like it's about that time. It's Shaka Khan time. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.